Blog Talk Radio. Another edition of Brunkin Radio. Hey, I was jamming along. I got a guitar on my lap there. I thought, hey, this band's saying good. That's a pretty good band there. A little XTC action for you from Skylarking, of course. We've got special guest Andy Partridge with us tonight. We're going to have a lot of fun, or today, depending on where you're listening from. I'm expecting a lot of phone calls. If you want to call in at 646-716-9262. Before I get into that, though, let me give you a real quick announcement. Chasm Sultan. Mini tour this March, chasmsultan.com if you want the information. Special show in Atlanta. We'll be recording a live DVD that is sponsored by Rungren Radio and Groupie Gear, groupie-g.com. Tickets are being mailed out this week. There's a special shirt offer as well. If you want information on that, it's chasmatl, which stands for Atlanta, chasmatl at yahoo.com. And ask Carrie about that, and she will give you the information. Andy, how you doing? Hey, isn't Chasm Sultan a great name? That is a really neat name. It's like the, the kind of Arabian Nights of a name. You know, you just expect him, if he's not in voluminous kind of harem pants and a huge turban with a feather, then I'd be very disappointed. <laughs> we'll see if we can get him to do that for the show. I think he should, at all times, you know. Yeah. It is an interesting name for a guy who grew up in, in New York. New York. New York, yeah. New York, right. yeah, joik. New York. All right, well, before we go, we already got a couple calls. I will be taking those in just a minute, but I do want to ask you a couple things, mainly about what you're doing now so we can get everybody caught up that doesn't know. I think you're very active on the Internet, so I'm sure a lot of people do know what's going on, but we want to just make sure that we are not hearing rumors or seeing people that aren't you on there. What's going oh, on? But the rumors are more fun. <laughs> we'll get into that. You know, the rumor, rumors of me running a, a Nazi breeding center, you know, they're much better. The, you know, the, the, the thing that I'm a I'm, uh, mastermind of a, an underground missile base is much, much more interesting than my real life. Very good. So that's what you're doing now, huh? Yeah, I don't see much sunlight down there underground. Just the stink of missiles all the time. <laughs> no, I, I'm running a, a record label called Ape. Right. And uh, what else am I doing? Uh, kind of wrestling with with what the hell it's that I do with music in the future. Because it comes to a sort of time in your life, and you think, do I want to do that exactly the same forevermore? So mm, it's a massive subject, you know. Sure. So I've checked out Ape. It's Ape. Dot UK, uh, 8.uk.net. Right? 
Net. Okay. Uh huh. And we have a small roster of artists. And if I get off my lazy butt and go through the big cardboard box of CDs in the kitchen, maybe I'd find a few more. But we have a we have a few good things on the label and uh, some great things coming in the next few months. But uh, if you're in a band, um, send in your music or or alert me to where I can hear your music, and you never know. So it's it's more it's it's more about other bands and groups and artists and whatnot, but you have some of your stuff on there as well. With the- yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, I don't think I'd ever trust another record label again in my life. So, you know, I know I'm not going to rip myself off. Mm-hmm. So I thought, yeah, I'll be the record label, and I'm certainly not going to rip anybody else off. So how many record labels have you worked with in the past? Um, quite a lot sort of internationally because you get sort of pushed from pillar to post. You know, we I think we started in the States... Oh, was it Caroline? And then we went on to, I think we were on CBS momentarily, Epic momentarily. Then we were on RSO, uh, had a top 40 album with Black Sea on RSO. Actually, the, the Robert Stigwood, that was. The day I met Robert Stigwood, he was so off of his tits that he came around the dressing room at a gig in New York. And he he would shake everyone by the hands and say, you know, And who are you, dear boy? And uh, and it'd be well. I'm I'm Andy. I'm uh, I played in the band you signed and and uh, you saw tonight. Bloody marvelous, bloody marvelous. And he'd go around the room, and then like ten minutes later, he'd come back and shake your hand again. And who are you, dear boy? Well, I I'm the singer in the the band, and you you thought we were really good, and you saw us, you know, tonight, and you've signed us up, and we're doing great. And he did that seven times. Hmm. To me, so I, 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 he obviously had a bit of a problem putting info in and keeping it in right, well, above the level of fun water that he'd ingested earlier in the evening. I think. So is it people like him? What is it exactly? If you could sum it up, you know, in one thing, because every it seems like every artist we talk to has had problems with record companies. What is the biggest problem with record companies today? Uh, well, it's the it's the problem that's killing them off. It's greed, basically. The artist gets the smallest amount of money. Um, and this is a hobby horse of mine, so I've got to go careful. But, you know, when you buy, a, say you buy an album for, let's make an easy figure, $10 in a store. Well, the store gets half of that first. The store will take something like $5. Uh, the record company will maybe take uh, $4 something, and you'll have to share out you know, a matter of sense between the band. So the band is always the last to get paid. But isn't it ironic? It's their product that's selling. It's their music that's selling. So, yeah, it's it's been as corrupt as can be ever since people figured out how to record music. But I think that's changing. You know, the the Internet is, is blowing that out of the water. There are certainly a lot of people doing things independently. And even some, you know, people have tried getting away from Ticketmaster, which is a big group here. I think it's different over there. I can't remember the name. Of it. Is Ticketmaster something to do with Clear yeah. Channel? Yeah. <laughs> Did I swear? Sorry. <laughs> so they charge a big fee if you want to buy concert tickets. And there's a service that I actually used over there when I went to London. I can't remember now off the top of my head. But anyway, these services that are charging extra, some of the some of the groups are getting away from that as well. And then, of course, you got the issues with being able to, to you know burn copies of CDs and everything. So music. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, I mean, young bands these days, and I mean, this is something that my daughter's going to run into very, very soon because she's in a band called the She Beats. Um, in, in fact, I could actually say it's her band. There you go. There you go. But uh, her band, the She Beats, are getting a lot of uh, attention. Um, they're only on rung one of the ladder here, but they're getting lots of attention from all over. And... Um, of course, I'm saying to her, don't sign anything, but you show it to me first, you know. <laughs> but um, 
she's gonna she's gonna be you know sticking her foot into the into the world of uh, of record companies and record companies now want what they call three three hundred sixty degree deals where they want to take money from your live work, which they never did before. Mm-hmm. They want to take money from your merchandising, T-shirts, hats, uh, ironing board covers, all that sort of stuff, which they never did before. They they want they want you know they want to wear your skin. It all goes back to Man. greed. That's right. Oh yeah, greed, greed, greed. Yeah, the money's definitely seems to be now in the tour. But let's go ahead and take some calls. If if we if they don't yeah, come on, call me, abuse me. About, uh, fuzzy. Fuzzy wobbles and monstrance and all that good stuff, but let's go ahead and get some people because they may be calling really from far away. Eight three one, you're with us. Hi, um, Andy. Yeah, roll. Hi, um, I'm a big fan of XTC, and I was just wondering. I've been listening a lot to your demos, and like on Dane Fortune, what's what's your approach to bass playing? Oh, I love playing bass. I am a I'm a closet bass player, or if I couldn't play bass, I'd be a closet drummer. But I'm, I'm a closet bass player. It is so thrilling, you know. You're you're you have the the kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The restriction of of you can't really go near chords. It's going to be messy. So you have to you have to play just the right notes. You have to play. You have to sit it in the pocket. You've got to marry that bass drum. It's very melodic. I guess it's kind of school of McCartney. He was one of the ideal bass players. He always played just the right notes, but he had a hell of a lot of mem- uh, melody in his playing as well. And for me, that's that's really thrilling. So I love playing bass on, on songs. Yeah, I, think, I think your bass playing is lovely. Oh, great. <laughs> Obviously, you got the check in the post, but thank you. <laughs> thanks. All right, thanks a lot. Okay, uh, 831 area code. Just let everybody know that is listening. The chat room is now open. I forgot about that, but now it is. If you don't see it and you want to get involved in that, you can just refresh your browser and you will be able to see a chat room if you're interested in that kind of thing. All right, we got three, two, three. Andy. Hey. Hey there. You know, uh, speaking of School of McCartney, um, you know, I've heard Paul McCartney in interviews acknowledge uh, contemporary artists such as like Beck, Radiohead, Oasis, etc. I'm wondering if you know if Paul is aware of your work, or have you ever met him, or any anecdotes or stories about that? Um, I've not exactly met him. I've brushed past him in a corridor at Air Studios, and uh, he was with... Uh, Linda and Ringo, and they were doing some music for that wretched film, Give My Regards to Broad Street. So it doesn't really count as meeting him. They just sort of, you know, looked up at me and said, right, you know, that kind of thing. So it doesn't really count as meeting, you know. Um, And I sat about three or four foot away from him when he was having the quietest argument I've ever heard in the Air Studios canteen. Him and George Martin were having an argument but whispering. It was great. Oh, Paul, for goodness sake, you can't bloody do that. Yes, I can, George. I did it. And they were, it was great. I've never heard anyone having a whispering argument. But again, that doesn't count, count as meeting. Um, no, I read an interview recently where he said he was aware of, of XTC and, and what we did. And he actually said something in the interview which baffled the shirt off of me, which was um, that, that he'd worked with one of us. And hey, I, I, I wasn't aware of that. Hmm. Um, but, you know, perhaps all this divorce stuff is... Right, right. Um, you know, unhinging him. Who knows? How about Brian Wilson? Any stories about that guy? Um, I was actually asked a couple of years ago, um, his management rang me up and said, would I co-write with him for a new album? Wow. And uh, I said, yeah, potentially. Uh, and of course, inside it was, you know, the little person inside of me was going, yeah, 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 do it, do it, do it, yeah, 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 I can't say, yeah, do it, do it. 
But um, I, I, rang, I rang around a lot of people and said, you know, do you think it would be wise of me to, to work with him? And um, I heard quite a few stories that would have put off any sane person from, from getting involved, you know, in the, in the Brian Wilson camp. But um, they said he would call me when he finished the tour he was on, um, which would be approximately in two weeks' time. But you know that the call never came, so either... Uh, he didn't. He changed his mind, or the management changed their mind, or maybe he just forgot. Because I've I've heard stories of um, of uh, people who've gone over to work with him, and he's not acknowledged them being in the room uh, um, for days. You know, he's he's kind of gone to meals with them and, and not said hello or anything. Or you know, it's, so he's he's definitely in in the Wilson verse. I don't think he's in in the known universe. <laughs> there there have been some stories about that, including with uh, t there's a video of Todd when they were doing the new cars, and he came in and and didn't remember him. And Todd's like, I've met this guy over and over again, and he never seems to remember me. But uh, that's pretty pretty. Yeah, but well, I mean, Brian Wilson, Brian Wilson, real uh, one of the few people you could actually call genius. I think. Um, so, hey, he can be as nutty as he wants. That's exactly right. Hey, thanks for the call, 323. I think we got an international call. It ends in numbers 1980. Are you on? Uh, yeah, I think that's me. Hello. How you doing? Hello. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm great. You? Good. Where are you uh, calling from? I'm calling from London. Excellent. Are you? You poor sod. What you, what, who are you? Uh, yeah, my name's Christopher, and um, I'm sort of new to your music, so you'll have to forgive my ignorance. Oh, you'll get better. <laughs> It's like a flu thing, you know. A couple of weeks, a couple of weeks. You won't remember. She'll be back to the Thompson Twins before, before you know what's happened. You're not far off. I actually um, got you because I listen. I'm a huge fan of Thomas Dolby. So. Um, really? Yeah, Tom's good. Yeah. I haven't spoken to Tom for a long time. Yeah, I know. Apparently, he like idolizes you or something like that. <laughs> so, well, I don't know whether he idolizes me. I, I, I think. Uh, I think we were reasonably good friends, and, and I think he would have liked to have played in XTC at one time. But um, mm. I, I think my facetious quote at the time was, one crazy ball keyboard player was enough to last me a lifetime. Why would I want another? Uh, but Tom's great. He's, he's really good. Yeah. Um, so I've listened to everything up to and including the album uh, Mummer. Is that how you say it? <laughs> Mummer, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just I have to say, you know, I'm... I'm extremely impressed by... Uh, oh, well, it gets better from Mummer onwards. Yeah, so I'm told. Uh, <laughs> oh, you've got the interesting stuff to come. You've got the best stuff to come. It's kind of... We're like flexing our muscles up to then. We're kind of getting, you know, getting half decent. But I think it gets pretty good around about from there onwards. Mm. I think, you know, um, I have to say probably my favorite, something like Living Through Another Cuba. I quite like that. That kind of... That's really funky. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of uh, it's, it's a funny little thing. It's kind of Caribbean ska disco uh, scronk. A billy. Just just put a billy on the end of everything, and it you know it, it gives it a certain musical genre. Mm, I think yeah, and brilliant the way it sort of segues into um, Love at First Sight and that the whole Black Sea album. I think it's just uh, genius. Oh, good man. Hey, I'm, I'm, my head's swelling. I'll never get out of this room. I'm sat on a vast throne made from frozen petrol, and any more of, this, any more of these compliments, I'm going to heat up and melt my own seating arrangement here. Okay, no more compliments for the rest of the show. Just kidding. Yeah, just, just abuse, please. <laughs> you got any questions, 447? 
1980, I guess, would be the better way to say that. Maybe a code you got in here. Um, any questions? Oh, that's difficult. Um, <laughs> that's all right. We got, we got plenty of calls with questions. No, I think he was just a, a, I think he was just a random kind of, a random pleasing call. There you go. Hey, we appreciate yeah. the call, by the way. Especially Cheers. compliments. Yes. All right. Very good. So let's go back to, I believe, the United States here. Who knows? 617. This is actually, we have two 617s. This is 617-549. Hey, Andy. Hey. Uh, yeah, could be. Hey, this is the uh, president of the Dukes of Stratosphere fan club. <laughs> okay. Actually, well, there was, a, there was a minimal career for you. No, a lot of impact. Hey, actually, this is Corin from the Pills. We spoke one night after we played in Swindon. When oh, Hull yeah. I yeah, did. I remember. Did you ring me up from a phone box? Yeah. I'm afraid we made Holly wake you up. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'd, I'd gone to bed. I wasn't actually asleep, but I, I was in bed kind of... Well, I want to uh, thank you because it's just... You know, beating the teddy bear or whatever euphemism you want to use. That'll work. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to thank you because you were so gracious and took the time to speak to us for, you know, half an hour on the phone, on the pay phone outside the club. So it meant a lot to us, you know. No, well, you know, anyone who's going to drag their asses all the way to my little town of Swindon, that's probably the least I could do, really. Well, actually, I have an invitation for you since you're wondering what to do with music next. Um... I think I'm going to be recording at Studio 2 at uh, EMI at the end of March, so I just wanted to invite you to come down and hang out, and you can produce it if you wish. <laughs> if you, yeah, just, just produce it. Just, just, you know, if you're not no. doing anything else, just, you know. Make it happen. Uh, very nice of you. Thank you. But, um, yeah, well, there you go. Thank there you. There you go. So we're supposed to, the compliments are supposed to be gone. This guy's giving yeah, yeah, yeah. hanging out at the phone booth like Superman, you know. Now, let's have some people ring in and say, why you all don't sell no records? There you go. Why don't y'all get back together already? What's the matter with you, pussy? Yeah. <laughs> all right, 617, again, 283. You're with Andy Partridge. Hey there, Andy. And Doug. Yeah, hello. How you doing? This is Dan Stick Loomis from Boston, Mass. Hey, man. Hey, Boston, home of the Sox. Hey, Dan, this was yeah. your idea for Andy to be a guest, right? I, I've been lobbying Doug to get you on You're here the man. for a few months, and, uh, and I'm, I'm thrilled to have a chance to talk to him. In addition to being a big Todd fan, I've been a big XTC fan for, uh, oh, since late 70s, I guess. Hey, good man. I only got to see you once uh, at a club near outside of Philly. I think it was the Black Sea Tour in 1980. Uh, oh, Philly, hang on. Um, can you remember the name of the club? It was, in, it, was, it was in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, I remember. And I, I, I see Dave Gregory remember all this. He's got one of those kind of photographic brains, but right. you know, my head's just like a Swiss cheese. <laughs> it's more whole than cheese, actually. Are you still in touch with Dave? I think he moved to the States. Yeah, Dave and I are, are pretty good friends. We kind of, after we went through our male divorce some years ago, right. um, we, we spent two years where we just bitched at each other in the press and never spoke to each other. And then one day I just thought, this is really stupid, because Dave was one of my best friends ever. And uh, I just called him up and said, look, this is really stupid. And, uh, you know, I've said some really bad things about you. And he was, oh, yeah, I've said some bad things about you. And, and we've been pretty much close friends ever since. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, that is good. Because he was, he was a, a big pal of mine before he joined the band. Um, so it was a case of, I, I actually used to go and see Dave play in groups that he was in when he was 15 and I'd be 14. And I'd oh, be wow. just getting into wanting to play the guitar and, you know, attract the girls with the old wooden fishing rod there. Right. And uh, I'd go and see bands that he, were, that he was in thinking, wow, I'd love to be able to play like that. You know, if I, if I keep practicing, I'll get that third chord. But he was great. He could play like Hendrix at the age of 15. So, mm. you know, he was someone I idolized as a kid. 
Yeah, and um, to bring the conversation back around a little bit to uh, to include Todd Rundgren, and since it is a Todd Rundgren show, I, I think I think Dave was one of the ones who was first uh, excited about the ideas of working with Todd on Skylarking. And he was the reason that we work with him. Um, right. Virgin Records, to put it bluntly, said to us, and me specifically, if you don't start selling records in the States, we're going to drop you. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, I'm going to be without a record label. I didn't know what, I mean, now that doesn't worry me, but then that was a big worry. And they said, we're going to get you some lists of uh, American producers, and you've got to pick one of these people to work with. And I didn't know anybody on the list, to be truthful, because I'm, I'm not really that up on a lot of people in the music business, per se. You know, it was all Randy Dingleberger, the ninth, and it was all these these people that were real professional producers. You know, I didn't know any, and then they, I I couldn't pick anyone on the list because I didn't know who they were. And they gave us another list, much shorter. And at the bottom of that list was Todd Rundgren. And I thought, ah, I know Todd Rundgren because I had something, anything, you see. And um, I said to Dave, "What do you what do you think about working with Todd Rundgren?" And he just, "Wow, yeah, we got to do it. We got to do it. That'd be fantastic." And <clears throat> really, excuse me, it was really Dave's enthusiasm for the whole thing that totally convinced me that we should do it. So he's, um, yeah, he's responsible. I damn it, <laughs> it's his fault. <laughs> it's his fault. You wait till I see him again. I know there's been a lot uh, written and talked about you know, how that whole session went, how it was you know, very difficult. Yeah, a bit too much been always. been written and talked about that, actually. But I, wonder if, I wonder if, looking back now, you could look back and was there anything specific you can say that you learned out of, out of working with him and out of that process? Oh, I learned a hell of a lot. I learned, um, well, I learned what things to do and what things not to do as well. But um, Todd was a phenomenally good arranger. And his arrangements for what were pretty basic demos that he got, I mean, those demos are probably, you know, some of the people listening to this are going to actually have some of those demos, but they were pretty basic. But the way he arranged, uh, say, for example, something like The Man Who Sailed Around His Soul, you know, he, he said to me, how do you want this to go? And I said, well, I'd love it to be like a kind of a piece of John Barry kind of spy music because of that, that whole title, The Man Who Sailed Around His Soul. is like a sort of spy novel uh, title, but the um, the demo I gave to him was really very primitive. It was just a beatbox and an acoustic guitar, and and me sort of la la a lot of the lyrics and stuff. And um, he took that away, and and almost overnight came back to the came back to the studio with an arrangement for a John Barry esque kind of way of doing it. And and he'd literally, like I say, knock this up overnight. It was like we'll have a flute, we'll have bongos here, you know, we'll have horns in that bit and it was great his arranging skills are, are phenomenal so that's that's one thing that i got to peek into the the world of the arranger i think that's todd's real strength is is the arranging but the the some comments have been that the engineering wasn't up to par compared to no that. i think his engineering is awful but uh you can't be you can't be great at everything you know he's a fantastic arranger he has no people skills <laughs> um, but he, he can arrange a piece of music up the wazoo or, you know, he has great technical skills. You can give him a pile of computer pieces and 25 minutes later he'll deliver you a fully functioning computer. Um, but, um, you know, he's, he's not a, a marvelous engineer and um, me and him did fight a bit. You know, he was, we, we were at loggerheads quite a lot. So the whole the whole people skills thing was was a bit lacking in Todd, but 
given Manny's due, he's, you know, in, in the kind of technical and the arranging department, he's phenomenal. Would you agree, though, with sometimes when you have conflict, that's where the best part of creation comes into play? I mean, you know, there's been some a lot of studies about that, and if you if there was no conflict when you're making a project like this, it may be more status quo than you would like. I mean, is that do you think it's a good thing? <laughs> well, you think he could have come out like status quo? Yeah. <laughs> if you don't fight, yeah, more denim, love. Like Too many chords. Just stick to three. Yeah. 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 It's the old joke goes. I learned a fourth chord today. It's damn. I'm overqualified for status quo. Mm. But uh, yeah, some good things do come out of conflict, but I don't know whether. If there hadn't been a conflict, it could have been even better, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, the irony of it is that, that I've read a lot of um, people saying that I'm difficult to work with because they've heard I'm difficult to work with. And all these stories seem to come back to the, the Skylarking session, the album we did with Todd. Um, I, I, I've got on famously with, with every producer we've ever worked with, all by one, apart from Todd, actually, but all by one. That was a fellow called Gus Dudgeon. And funnily enough, he'd read uh, an interview, suppose it was either myself or Todd or the pair of us, saying that we hadn't gone on together. And he assumed uh, that it, must, it can't be the producer. It must have been the artist who was difficult. So Gus did a, a, approach working with us, and uh, he was a little over-harsh on me because, like I say, he... he he thought I was going to be the one that was difficult. I'm not difficult in the studio. I'm just particular about I, I know how I want my music to be. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm Mr. Jovial. I'm, I've got on really well with every producer we work with, basically. See, y'all have had, more, have had uh, producers, uh, and forgive me for not knowing this information, but you've had a producer do more than one of your albums, do another one, another one, that type of thing. Cause yeah, well, well, what happens is you, you usually work with somebody and then you think, well, that was good, that's great, now let's move. It's like a candy store, you know, I've, I've, I've tasted those, let me move over to the, the Jelly Babies now, right, that's what a Jelly Baby's like, let me move over to the Sticks of Rock or whatever, you know. There you go. All right, well, uh, Dan, the Emerald City was the place you were talking about. I oh, that was a good gig, actually. That was, that was a really steaming gig. Oh, tell me about it. It was one of the best I've ever seen. It really was outstanding. Um, one thing also I wanted to ask you about, as a drummer myself, I'm, I was always really intrigued with your use of rhythm throughout almost all the XTC records, not just the drumming, which I think you had quite a bit of influence on, but the rhythm guitars and, say, like a song like Wake Up, for instance, and any number of examples. Now, what, and the little I've heard of your, your newest uh, experiment that, you, that you're involved with, I'm not hearing a whole lot of rhythm, so obviously you're you're onto a different path now. So I'm just curious what's driving you now, if it's not a fascination with rhythm, and uh, and if well, I'm wrong, you know, where you might fit that in. I was immensely interested in rhythm. I, I thought at one time more interested in rhythm than I was in melody, and I think as the years went by, I got more and more into melody. Um, and the desire for the rhythms to be so prominent and so... Well, I mean, just off the wall in some cases, but uh, the desire to be so strong rhythmically kind of seeped away because I'd done that, and I think that's a place I'd been, but I hadn't been so melodic. So then I went through, on the journey, I went through the, the country of melody a bit more, you know. Mm -hmm. um, now I, I think I'm kind of, I guess I'm sort of going through a place where I'm, I'm not so interested in songs um, because I've done a hell of a lot of them. And... Um, in the last 
couple of days, I've actually been taking all my work tapes that I've put together over the last five years, and um, you know the, the tapes that if I get an idea for a song, I slam it down quickly so I don't forget it. And I went and transferred them all um, over the last few days to see what I had, and I must have over 200, like 250 pieces of song. But because they're songs as such, I haven't felt the urge to kind of finish them off because I want to be in a different place, you know? Mm. There you go. Hey, Dan, you got extra time, man, because this was your idea. I appreciate yeah, you calling. All right. <laughs> we're gonna, we got a ton of callers, and uh, we're going to try to get to them. And nobody else is going to get that kind of time. Dan gets special privileges. We Thanks, appreciate buddy. you calling, appreciate man. All right. All right. That's Dan the drummer. Uh, so, bye, Dan. Okay, so before we move on, I, I did want to ask you a question because it looks like I'm not I'm not going to get many in today, which is fine. Uh, what whose idea was it to have the child singing at the first part of Dear God on the Skylar? Uh, that was Todd's idea. Um, he said, "Wouldn't it be great?" Because the original song came was inspired by that rather tacky, I think, uh, book of letters, children's letters to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the actual book was called Dear God as well. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, wouldn't that be great? When I, when I talked to him about this, he said, wouldn't it be great to have the first verse, uh, have a kid singing? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, it could work, you know. And I said, uh, anyone in mind? And um, Todd said that he knew a, a local family who played in bars and stuff in the, in the Woodstock area, which was where his studio was. Uh, and um, the, the little girl that went out with him on some gigs, and it was kind of family thing, was uh, was called Jasmine Jasmine Vailette, mm-hmm. and uh, he arranged for the uh, with the family and said, "Look, can Jasmine come over and sing on this record?" And uh, Todd asked us, "Look, would you guys get lost for the, for the time it takes to do this? Because she's going to be really nervous as it is, and I think if she sees, you know, three strangers from from England sat there staring <laughs> at her." <laughs> Come along, girl, you know, with a Dickensian sort of voices. Come along, faster, better, more in tune. What's the matter with you? Down the coal mines. And uh, he said, can you disappear while we're doing this? And we, we disappeared for a while, and we couldn't, um, couldn't hold our curiosity any longer. So we actually crept up on the studio, and it was dark, and we peered in the window, and there's little Jasmine Vailette at the microphone there, squeaking away, doing verse one. But she did a great job. A lot of people think it's a little boy because it was a little boy in the video, but um, it's a little girl. Gotcha. Okay, we've got one uh, email question I definitely want to get in because this is from the UK. This is our friend Laura who does our MySpace page. It's wanted to know if you have had any contact recently or what's your relationship or if you do any work with Mike Keneally. Uh, Mike Keneally, um, I can't remember how long ago now, maybe about 18 months ago or maybe longer, um, came over to England and asked if he could write with me. And we did about three or four days together and came up with a couple of very interesting things, actually about five, five or six things he took away with him. One, a fully formed song, lyric, structure, everything, called Your House, which I think is great, really, really good thing. Um, I don't know where it came from. It was just him sat at the piano, and I just started singing, and, and he followed with the chords and stuff. And, and this song sort of instantaneously arrived, which almost fully formed, which was really thrilling. But Mike's such a good player in any case that I guess it's the you put people together in that sort of hot house atmosphere, then things are going to go kaboom, you know. Um, but he hasn't, as far as I know, done anything with any of these songs. 
And recently I was thinking, well, if he doesn't actually get off his ass and record your house, then I may want to do it myself because it's so good. Good. Excellent. Okay. So we have a lot of callers. I'll just let me let you know, callers, if you can, uh, be quick, fast, in a hurry so we can try to get to everybody and make this fair and fun. we got caller 951. 951, you with us? Okay. Nope. Good. That's not they, good they couldn't pay their bill. They got called. <laughs> 704. 704. There we go. 704, you with us? Yes, sir. All right. How about it? How you doing? Hey, Andy. I just wanted to say real quick that uh, I've been a big fan of your music for, oh, I probably joined the free around Skylarking. Oh, 1872. <laughs> yeah, it seems how long it is. Um, been a constant source of inspiration. Thanks so much for all that. Um, just quickly wanted to ask you how your tinnitus was. I heard you kind of wrecked your hearing during Monstrance. Uh, yeah, I did. That was, um, well, my tinnitus or tinnitus um, is this at the moment. Oh, really? uh, for 24 hours a day in both ears. Actually, the the left ear is the note of D and the right ear is the note of C. Right, right at the top of the piano, you know, that top octave on the piano. If you hit a D and a C next to each other and manage to sustain that for 24 hours a day for forevermore, that's what I can hear in my head. <laughs> so it's kind of fun, huh? Uh, do, I suppose that'll be an impediment to uh, any songwriting, huh? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, actually, it was horrible. When it first happened, it was an idiot of an engineer who shall remain nameless. Um, his initials are MC, for anyone who wants to do the homework. Um, because he put a load of buzz and stuff on the recordings, on, on some of the tracks on Monstrance, we had to electronically clean the buzz off because of his you know, his his stupidity and patching stuff up wrong and getting over stuff. And to check that we'd cleaned off a track, I put the headphones on and I said, look, I'm going to hear this piece of silence on because we know there's nothing recorded on this piece here. You know, it's complete silence. I'm going to hear it at full volume on the headphones, full volume on the mixing desk, okay? So don't don't do anything. Don't make any noise. This stupid engineer could not resist messing with the computer keyboard, and he accidentally hit a key. He shouldn't have been hitting any keys, but he hit a key, and the function of this key programmed in was to send a click track. And so this click track, uh, which was like side sticks on a snare drum going, bock, 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 three of these bangs as, as loud as the, the full up on the mixing desk straight into my ears, uh, that was it. That um, pretty much destroyed my hearing, and I'll I'll have this um, I'll have this this high pitch whistling sound until the day I die. Ouch. Yeah. So it, it does kind of it it did depress me unbelievably. I mean, I actually it was the only time in my life I ever thought about suicide because I could not stop this noise, you know. So I had to go and see somebody, and um, I, I was told, quite frankly, look, you're never going to. This, you're never going to get rid of this. No, the best you can hope for is to adjust your mental attitude towards having it. And um, I have, I've got my serious head on for two minutes here. I wear these things that, that put like a sort of white or pink noise in my ears. They look like hearing aids, but they actually send this, you know, this sound in. And I wear those all day, every day. And what it does is um, slowly over 18 months, two years, it's going to hopefully, and it looks like it's kind of happening, it retrains your brain to disregard the 
the inner workings, this, this high-pitched electric, electrical whine in the brain. And uh, I don't hear, of course, now I'm talking about it, I can hear it perfectly, but I don't notice the tinnitus so much now. So it's kind of a blessing, you know, but it's horrible. You really should watch your ears um, because I, I, not knowing what it was really, I uh, had no concept of it. But when you get it, oh boy, imagine that high-pitched screaming sound that you cannot stop. You can't just cover your ears and it goes away. It's inside your head. It's appalling, but hey, what are you going to do? You know, life chucks us this stuff. Well, it's good they got something that sounds like it's helping you, so that's good. Yeah, just retraining your brain to sure. to disregard it so much. Okay, everybody, just to let you know, you're listening to RungerRadio.com. This is Andy Partridge, XTC. If you call in, please turn your computer down because this is delayed, so that may have been our problem with the, that previous caller. I will try you again in a minute, 951. But you can hear us you're in real time when you're on the phone. So that's what you want to do is get on the phone if you're calling in and then turn your stereo down on your computer and you'll be good to go. And we're going to take another caller from 509. Hello. Hey, 509. You Americans have got interesting names like 509-612. I'm not a number. I'm a free man. Prisoners. I'll call from prison. Yeah. Conjugal visits today. Yep. Call <laughs> from Washington State. Big fan of Andy's forever since its primordial ooze. That's right. Yep, that's really why it was. Uh, Google magnesium and high concentrations of vitamin B complexes. So I take those every day. The magnesium. Yep. I, I tell you, if you lit a match near me, I could flare up. I've got so much, so much magnesium in my system. Oh, well, you got to take it with the, all the other supplements that, you know, let it go into your cells. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I've done a lot of research. I mean, thanks for, for, thanks for giving me that. The latest thing I've heard about is like a magnetic treatment that is showing some signs of working, but they're, they, they're not sure why it works uh, on some people and not on others. So, um, you know, maybe in a few years they'll be able to pass these big magnets over my head and literally erase the problem or something, you know, like I'm a human tape or something. Or something to your ears. Anyway, Andy, I wanted to ask you a couple of things. I want to be brief and quick here because all these callers are coming in on the flood. But uh, do you? Uh, how would you? What do you? What do you consider? You know, the best thing about living in the UK, and what would you consider the most dreadful thing about it? And what would you, in your mind, your perception, think of what would be the best thing about living in the United States, and the worst and most annoying thing about living in the United States? Whoa! Well, it's, these are huge questions, and I'm, I'm going to have to do some sort of bland, uh, uh, kind of quick. Gra- it's, it's like grasping the universe and going there. I've got it. There it is. You know, well, living in England. Best thing about living in England is probably the sense of history, which is absolutely exudes from everything. It's in the soil. It's in the trees. It's in the hills, and it's in the air, it's, it's in some of the buildings, it's in the faces of the people. The English people look kind of different. They look pastier and more historic for some reason. I don't know why. Um, it, so I think the best thing about England is, is the sense of history that's everywhere, which is, is really amazing. You know, it's like a, an ancient battery that's, that's throbbing life into you, you know. Um, the worst thing about living in England is, um, what is the worst thing about living in England? God, there's no room. Um, I mean, pretty pretty soon everybody's going to be stood on each other's shoulders, I think. Uh, it's, it's like miniature Tokyo. It's getting really crowded. 
you know, we're, we're only tiny. If you look at the size of, of England on a, on a world map and then you look at, you know, the size of the uh, United States of America, for example, you, you, you could easily lose us in most small states, I think. So that's so. There's um, now. Let me see. Best and worst about America. Uh, worst America. Well, it's gonna be the whole gun thing, and I, I'm gonna make lots of enemies in the gun-loving community by saying this. Uh, people with guns kill people. Uh, yeah, that's all you need to know. Uh, you don't need guns. Nobody needs a gun. This is not 1700. You don't have wild bears crashing through your living room. You don't have pesky redskins trying to scalp your children. Uh, you don't need guns. Um, you know, it just it keeps America in, in a, like a giant version of Afghanistan or something. You know, what is this with this gun? It's like some big dick substitute. You don't need guns. <laughs> you know, the Canadians have a lot more guns than you do, funnily enough, but they have a tiny fraction of the gun crime associated with it. What's, what's the thing there? So I'd say the worst thing about America is the guns. The best thing about America is everyone's so polite. Hey, everyone in England's really rude, but everyone in America is... It's, it's, you know, it's the, the, you still have the concept of service, you still have the concept of manners, you still have the concept of generally being pleasant to each other, which is something that I, I notice quite palpably when I go to America. Over here, everyone's as rude as hell to each other, but in America, it's, there's, uh, there's still that, that kind of social oil, very respectful social oil. Maybe it's because you don't know who's armed and who's not. But it's, it, <laughs> I assume you haven't been to France if you think the UK is that bad, because I think they're pretty friendly. Uh, yeah, the French are, the French are well, you know the whole thing between England and France is like jealous neighbors. You know, we're jealous of what they've got, and they're jealous of what we've got. Well, they don't like us too much either. So well, you know, man's natural enemy, the French. There you go. All right. Hey, appreciate the call. We got another one for six five one. Area code six five one. Yes. Hello, Andy. Hey. Yeah. How are you doing? Pretty good. Good. Uh, this is Scott from Minneapolis. I wanted to ask you if uh, you still have your toy soldier collection. Yeah. I'm. If I, if I turn around now, um, I can see about I don't know about a thousand, and they're just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, the majority of them, the, the, and in fact, I've never counted them, but many, many thousands are up in the attic causing structural damage, even as I whimper away on the phone here. But, yeah, I'm, I'm still pretty obsessed with toy soldiers. And, and I have been doing quite a bit of sculpting myself lately because I'm wrestling with the whole music question. So I've got to do something with my with my uh, busy fingers. How much self-abuse can a man do? You know, so I've taken to sculpting. Okay. Another question, uh, Todd's recording studio uh, in Lake Hill, what was that like? I mean, it's, Extremely it. primitive. Yes, it's really surprising. that so It's very, very primitive. It, it was basically a, a large kind of clapboard shed with windows on three sides on the ground floor. And then, in fact, it was all ground floor. And you go inside and there's a kind of mezzanine area that's, that was boarded over with a window and that mezzanine area up the stairs is is the control room. Um, and very weirdly, had about three or four beds piled on top of each other in the control room. I don't know why they were all 
Well, one would have been fine, but it seemed to be a, a repository for, for all of Todd's old beds or something. They were, they were actually stacked uh, up on top of each other, almost <laughs> to the ceiling. I've never quite seen anything like it before. But it was very primitive. I mean, the, the gear he's got in there is, is very basic. And he, he gets pretty damn good results out of the, how basic his gear is. But um, uh, some, some of the great things in there were actually had gone to neglect. He had a Chamberlain. And I don't know if you know what a Chamberlain is, but um, the English equivalent of a Chamberlain is called a Mellotron. And it's, um, it's not actually a synthesizer. It actually is a, it's like a keyboard instrument that plays loops of pre-recorded tape. And you press a note, and, and you've set it to flute, and you press that note of C, and what you hear is a piece of tape gets dragged over a, a playback head, and it's actually somebody with a flute playing the note of C. Uh, but the, the Chamberlain is, is, a, is an older version of that. And he had a Chamberlain in there, which actually had mice living in it. Um, it didn't work, and, and Dave Gregory uh, took it to pieces and cleaned it, because he's pretty obsessive about musical instruments. And we got it going again. But, um, yeah, his, his uh, facil facilities there were sort of, how shall we say, the pioneer spirit. <laughs> Great. All right, let's try 951 again. Caller 951, you with us? Okay. We're giving no, up. he still hasn't paid that bill. He's giving up on 951. they got to get some money. He hasn't got a phone. He was fibbing. People need to send in their donations. All right, 610, area code 610, you're with us. Andy Partridge. Mm. Yep. Uh, sip of water there, fine English tap water. How are you? Good. How are you? Pretty good. I just wanted to confirm the Emerald City show being a classic. I was there. Oh, you were there? Yeah, that was a real good one. I mean, in, uh, in, in five years of touring, which was pretty much we did five years solid touring, yeah, uh, they all seemed to be one long gig to me, but there are occasional standouts, and that was one of the standout ones. Embarrassingly, you can hear me yelling in the background and whistling. Really? Is that, is, are you, are you, are you naked with your breasts out on, on your girlfriend's shoulder? <laughs> I was the idiot yelling helicopter every five seconds. <laughs> did we play it? Yes, you did. Oh, we did? Okay, so oh, there you, there you awesome. go. Just to get you to be quiet, they played it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, For God's sake, I shut that fellow up. <laughs> uh, my question is, what do you think of the uh, chat room that you have in Idea Records? What do I think of it? Um, By the way, I have Donovan locked up in a, in a closet for you, if you want. Oh, is, is he is he one of those things? He, um, I've recently learned this term. Would you call him a mole? Uh, no, no, a troll. Sorry, you know, a troll. There you go. That's the word. <laughs> we don't use troll much in the U.S., but uh, yeah, he's a troll. <laughs> yeah, so, so somebody who comes on and says just bad stuff just to upset everybody. That's correct. Uh, yeah, I'm, it's I'm, like a it's like a thrill thing, you know. Right, I'm Fellini Fiend on there, by the way. Oh, you're Fellini fiend. Yes. Are, are you actually a Fellini fiend? Are you are you crazy about Fellini? No. Oh, I've seen a couple movies, but it's basic. It's actually from a, a car song. Oh, okay. I'm not. I, I'm not familiar with the. Uh, I choose my words carefully here because uh, of Todd's involvement. I'm not familiar with the Cars oeuvre. Well, there's a song called "Give Me Some Slack," and he sings, uh, "I'm all right with Fellini fiend stripping over the tracks," and I was always intrigued by that line. Okay. Yeah. No. The 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 uh, sort of forum or whatever you want to get. It's not quite a chat room. It's sort of a you just come and post stuff up. You know, it's um, it's like one of those democracy walls or whatever they call them in China. You just go and stick on there what you want to stick on. You know. But uh, yeah, some of it's uh, interesting. And and I had the bad habit of when I first got the net of going on there, and for some reason I'd get drunk and then start reading this stuff, and I'd either get 
ludicrously elated because I think, oh, how touching they've said they've said that. You know, I'd I'd be like in tears, or I'd get so angry and frustrated that people had said stuff that was just plainly and utterly wrong that I'd almost be in tears with that as well. So. Um, I have to go careful with it. It's it's sort of a bit like being at your own wake. You know, you've died and then you you've come back and you can hear what people are saying about you. And it's it's not always a good thing to hear what people are saying about you. Well, that's a good thing about internet radio. You can clear it up and they know it's you. So yeah, I guess so. So if you got any problem, you don't think you won't clear it up. But I, speaking of, there's an Ask Andy column apparently that you do as well. That well that's for a local paper. Yeah, I was over the pub and. Uh, my local, and uh, I was three pints down, and, and uh, a woman from the, the, there was a reporter at the paper said, hey, we're, we're, we'd like to know whether you would do this this kind of column there. Uh, there's no money in it. <laughs> oh, you definitely had three pints in it. Yeah, so I, so I said, yeah, 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 okay, you know. <laughs> but uh, So people are writing in and asking. We, we've had to sort of limit it to maybe musically, musical kind of themed questions. You know. Okay. Well, there's a guy, Vincent Canado, sent me an email. He said he's on there a lot asking you questions. And he had one that, uh, let's see, it's kind of, let me read it to you right quick, if you don't mind. He said, seeing how most of today's music is so awful, I went back in time, as it were, and am just recently enjoying what is known as kraut rock, I believe is what that is. Is that, am I saying that right? Cause yeah, kraut rock, yeah. Krautrock. As in kraut, the Germans, rock, as in Lost, rock. Yeah. Lost, can, new, et cetera. He said, I wonder yeah, if you Yeah, kind of fantastic. Yeah. Okay, he said he wondered if you still enjoy the style, and would you ever, could you, or would you ever do a rutless job on this style as you've mastered the art of style covering on the Dukes of Stratosphere and the aborted bubblegum project? Uh, I'm not saying, because <laughs> that would give it away. No, I, I actually, I think the nearest I've ever got to it, to any crowd rock is probably the Monstrance project, which... Uh, some of that, you know, without trying, it isn't a million miles away from from some of that early crowd rock stuff. Yep. And you can get that, of course, on your website. Yeah, that's you can either buy a physical double disc set or there's a, a download EP right. um, called Fine Wires Humming a New Song. Eight dot uk dot net. Check it out. Good stuff on there. Also, we got a call here from seven zero three area code. Is it me? Yep. It's you. You've won. Hello, it's you. You've won. We're now married. <laughs> okay, so uh, then, well, I'm not going to go there, but... Um, I know that voice. <laughs> I know that voice. You've either, you've either strangely stolen Todd Bernhardt's vocal cords in a horrible knife incident... I've been keeping them in a jar, actually. Yeah, exactly. So, so hey, I'm Todd, good. how are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm taking a night off from talking to you. <laughs> well, it's our, it's, this is usually the time you and I get together, isn't it? Exactly, and I'm sat on the same sofa. <laughs> sofa, so good. Well, you know, given the uh, other callers' big questions, I was going to ask you about, um, you know, the nature of reality, but I decided to go with something a little more complex than that, and, um, you know, something related to Todd Rundgren. And I figured I would ask you... So we're not going to get into a discourse about all those sparkly jock straps he wore in Utopia. Damn. Feel free to discuss that. I was hoping you'd go there. Um, but I want, you know, I wanted to ask you, uh, given my background as a musician, about Prairie, about Prairie Prince, and both your experience with him on Skylarking, and on Apple Venus too, and and how much like Robert Mitchum does he look? Exactly. 
that's we all we all know that he uh, he certainly does that. But I, I wanted to ask you what makes him special to you as a drummer. What what stood out for for you about him and his playing? Well, I never knew how he drummed. I never really had a grasp of what sort of drummer Prairie Prince was until Todd suggested using him for the album. You see. And he said, look, I know this great drummer who, who lives, uh, you know, not far from me in San Francisco. And uh, seeing as we're going over there to do the little orchestral bits and pieces, uh, he can do all the drums and stuff rather than flying him and his kit and stuff over over to the East Coast. We'll go over there when we do the, the brass and the orchestra bits and he can do his his drums there. And I had no concept of what a player he was, but became very clear very quickly when he set up that this was a man with a lot of fire and a lot of um, a lot of sort of flick to his playing. I can't think of a better word. It's just he had this, this, this energy and this flick with his playing. And also it was, never seemed like too much. His, his playing just seemed like the right amount um, to me. And I was thrilled. You know, we'd, we, we, we'd play... We play along with Prairie on on uh, on stuff that we would be cutting there, or he would. Uh, we had the luxury of sitting down and watching him drum to to stuff we'd sketched out on the East Coast, and he'd just sit and drum along with those recordings, as it were. And it was it was always thrilling. So he he's just good with a capital G. Yeah, and then how about on Apple Venus? Well, I know that you and Colin got reacquainted with his style and kind of thought about him again as you were. I guess doing the song stories project because that forced you to listen back to some of those songs, right? Yeah, I think we were thinking about a drummer, and in fact, um, I can't remember his name, much to my shame. But Prince's drummer, uh, the you know the new power generation fella. Yeah, Michael. Can you think Bland. of his name? Michael Bland, I think. Uh, I, I, you know, it's gone out of my head. Anyway, he wrote a letter saying, "Could he drum on our next album?" Hmm. And. Um, you know, we were saying, well, do we want to work with somebody that we know or do we want to take another punt with somebody that we don't know? And because we were listening to a lot of material to, to do the interviews for the Song Stories book, you're, you're right. We, we By the time we got to Prairie, it was a case of, do you know, this bloke would be great, again, to work with again. And so that's why we got him over to, to do some of the material for, for the Apple Venus project. And, and is, was it because his versatility maybe Why? because your music had obviously changed between Skylarking and Apple Venus it, it was just that you know you, he's an amiable fellow to be with in the studio for a start and that helps you know you don't want to be in there with a, with a kind of crazed maniac um, who, who's you know is oiled naked bearers bring him in on a palanquin and he can only work between the hours of 1 and one fifteen. you don't want anyone like that you know prayer is just really easy going and it was uh, it was a case of well we know we get on with him we know he's got this this uh, minimal, sketchy magic to his playing, you know, this, this flick to his playing that I can't quite put into words. But So it was a case of, hey, let's make it easy on ourselves and, and work with Prairie again. Right, right. So how do you guys know each other? Well, um, that Todd, the, the one where we've got on the phone at the moment, mm-hmm. um, he, uh, he and I are talking um, every couple of weeks, and... Todd has a um, a website called um, XTC Fans on MySpace. Excellent. And um, 
Todd interviews me about a couple of songs every few weeks, and um, the shameful results <laughs> go up on that website. They're pretty damn interesting. They're much better than that, that, that piece of crap, the Song Stories book, yeah, Todd did which I'm embarrassed about, but I'm not embarrassed about the interviews I, I do with Todd. Well, we have, the, we have the benefit of the net there because we don't have to uh, you know, keep it down to 500 words or some crazy limit like that, some crazy arbitrary limit. Yeah, yeah, we can be as long as, you know, you can take as long as you want. And plus, also, Todd agreed that when he's interviewing me, he will dress as Shirley Temple, so <laughs> I, I had to agree. I actually tricked you into that because I'm normally dressed like Shirley Temple, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, you just remove it during the interview. Oh, I feel so cheap now. Well, you know, I'm going to get off the phone and let other people, uh, you know, ask you questions. But uh, speaking of Shirley Temple, I wanted to ask you before I left, who your favorite porn star is? Um, the trouble is she doesn't do enough porn. It's probably Veronica Zemanova. She's one of those solo girl type things. You know, there's never any kind of meatpacking involved. It's always just... Uh, display in the butcher's window you know there's there's never any kind of cross collateralization of meaty products going on there you go todd all right well, hey man thanks for your help with this too xtc myspace page hey I'm see you soon todd that. yeah good happy stuff. to do it see ya all right okay we got some chatter going on in the chat room everybody's dying for dying for me to ask you if you have been in contact with colin um, only uh the pair of us are bitching badly at each other at the moment um we're we're wrestling over, um, how shall I say, group assets, because Colin is really trying to remove himself from the musical world in every way, shape, or form. And uh, so at the moment, uh, we're just sending bad-tempered emails to each other um, via our manager. Uh, uh, but uh, no, I haven't seen Colin. In fact, Colin moved uh, just over a year ago, and... Um, I think to his way of, of cutting off all dealings with me was not to give me his address where he moved to and not to give me his phone number, which he still hasn't done. So um, it, it's his way of, of shunning me, I guess, and cutting off the past. Yes, but do it sounds like you, though, you have some business that you have to finish. That would yeah, unfortunately, we're tangled up um, financially. Uh, not much financially, but we are tangled up business-wise, and I would very much like to undo that because um, Colin, I, I I shouldn't really criticize Colin because he's done some great stuff in the past, but he can be awfully negative and, and um, he doesn't like spending money to achieve things. Uh, in fact, Dave calls him mean Mr. Molding. Um, but um, I, I would like to undo my business from Colin, and, and I, I have no compunction, no worry about spending money to achieve things, because I'm uh, somebody that likes to think yes to things, and yes, that can be done, or yes, that's achievable, whereas uh, Colin seems to have a, an innate fear of spending a penny. Hmm. Um, but uh, no, I haven't spoken to Colin for, for quite a long time. All right, there's the answer to the question, and of course, as the old saying goes, sometimes you got to spend money to make money. Oh yeah, you're never gonna it never comes through your door. You got to, you know, you, you, if you want to wear a tuppence, you got to spend a penny. There you go. Okay, two hundred eight area code, you're with us. Two hundred eight. See, they got their computer on. Yeah, he, he hasn't pulled the he hasn't pulled the tin cannon string tight enough. That's what it is. All right, if you're gonna call in, you got to turn your computer down and listen to the telephone. Two hundred eight. One more chance. Oh, uh, uh, right here. There he is, 208, you with us? Idaho. Okay, good deal. Oh, Idaho, yeah. 
It's Potato oh. Land. Yeah, uh, I guess the inspiration for uh, Scarecrow people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, actually. That and some of the sets in Wizard of Oz, yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm uh, totally blown away just talking to you right now. I don't, I don't know that I have much to say, but it's, uh, I love your music. I really love the fuzzy warbles. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, you realize that the majority of that stuff was never meant to be heard by anyone outside of the group and outside of a couple of people in the record company. Yeah, but I think it's awesome. And it, it's like us fans, you know, we really get to see who you are. And I, I think I've opened up more to you since getting turned on to the Fuzzy Warbles than any of the the studio work you did with XTC. I think oh, well, that's great. That's, that's, that's good to know because I... I was kind of furious that people were bootlegging bits and pieces of our demos, and because and, I, I hadn't made the one thing I hadn't made uh, in, in my career much of was money. Um, I, plenty of like positive criticism and plenty of positive feedback from people. I mean, in terms of, of positive acclaim, I guess I was Bill Gates, but uh, I never made much on on the money front. And then to see people bootlegging you and kind of uh, taking away your own private recordings and stuff was really hurtful. So, so I think the Fuzzy Warbles series helped to, to balance that out, you know. Bootlegging yourself, right? Yeah, if, if anyone's going to bootleg me, it's got to be me. I could do it so much better than anyone else. <laughs> How about that, 2-8? That's your question. What are Fuzzy Warbles about? So um, that that brought in more capital for you then when you uh, launched that. Yeah, actually, I, I earned more money from Fuzzy Warbles. I can't tell you how much. Not, not that I don't want to tell you. I'm I'm not sure, but maybe I don't know something like fifty thousand pounds or something, which I think is more than I've earned from the sale of the Virgin catalog in the last <laughs> three or four years. Cutting out the middleman. So what what was the idea behind this? It basically was that you wanted to you were tired of bootlegs, so you wanted. To I was tired of bootlegs, and I had an awful lot of uh, uh, home recordings amassed. You know everything from mono cassettes, stereo cassettes, four track cassette machines, eight track cassette machines. Um, eight-track digital recorder, then computer recordings, and, and so on. You know, over the years, massing up, um, and obviously the fact that people were buying bootlegs of these recordings made me think, hey, you know, these people actually want to hear this stuff, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to them as best as I I'm gonna clean up these recordings. I'm gonna get the best quality uh, best quality mixes and stuff I can, and. Um, Hey, it worked. You know, they they sold really well, and everyone seems to be well lit up about it. So it was a good exercise. Are you? Do you plan to have any more out soon, or is that you've pretty much tapped your? Um, I think it's the it's the best. I mean, I still have other stuff that I haven't put on the Fuzzy Warble series, but it's not such good stuff. Um, and the fact is that I'm recording, you know, bits and pieces all the time. So. I'm inadvertently storing up another mass, I guess. Yes. Well, Todd had mentioned something on the XTC MySpace about a uh, new recording of Dear God. Can you tell me what that's about? Uh, no, it's not a new recording. That's the original demo that was um, sent to Todd Rundgren. Uh, we had some new songs near uh, almost right up to the last minute, I think, before we were due to go in the studio with Todd Rundgren. Um, he said, do you have any more songs? You know, because we sent him some uh, cassettes and stuff over cassettes it sounds like you know <laughs> 78 yeah we sent some shellac recordings over but uh, yeah we sent some cassettes over but we wrote a couple of new songs and one of them was was dear god 
And he said, well, can you demo it for me? So we all got together around Dave's house. And Dave had a four-track tape machine and just uh, mic'd us up. And we we played it in Dave's front room um, over tea and biscuits and uh, posted it over to Todd. And, and he said, well, you know, maybe this should go on the album. I like this. And so that's what you that that recording there you put out for public. Consumption. Oh, that was uh, yeah that that um, actually I can't remember where that came out whether that was on a fuzzy warble or not. But uh, Todd um, thought that people would like to hear the demo of it rather than the finished recording for a change. You know? That'd be interesting. I'll have to check that out. I know that he had posted a link where you could do that. So it's MySpace and the XTC site. So you can check that out if you want. And I have been. Rude, because I haven't given you an out yet. We still have lots of time if you can hang out with us. We've got lots of calls still. I just yeah, I, I've got nothing on. I'm not uh, like directing any comets or regulating any tides this evening, uh, so I'll it. be fine. We really appreciate you being on. This is great. 466, you're on with Andy Partridge. Could this be me? It's you. No, it's you. <laughs> Hello, it's Andy. you. How are we doing? How are you? Do you hear me? Yes. Yes. Uh... I have a question about Veda. Uh, oh, Veda! Yes, about Veda Hila. I'm quite obsessed with her, as you maybe know. Uh, uh, wait, I know that voice too. Yes. Is yes. this a certain, a certain sexy Swede? I say it's a certain Swede, but not so sexy, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying to think of a bit of alliteration there. How about sewagey Swede? Would that be, would that be a better? Uh, uh, so what's what's the latest with Veda? The latest with Veda is that she, her new album is coming soon. Called her Riot new album Life. is being pressed up right now. It's called This Riot Life, and it's absolutely marvelous. It's uh, I think it's uh, it's better than the previous album. This is a, for people who don't know. This is an ape artist called Veda Hilly. She pronounces it as Hilly. I'd, I'd say Hilla, but she she's calls herself Veda Hilly, so that's how I have to pronounce it. Um, she's a Canadian um, artist, singer, songwriter, musician, and she makes marvelous, marvelous records. And we put out an album of hers called um, Return of the Killdeer. And now she's got a new one called This Riot Life ready to come out. And it's, it's, if this is possible, it's, it's even better than Return of the Killdeer. It's marvelous stuff. So... Um, Perhaps you'd like to, for people who don't know, might want to catch up with her. Check out Return of the Killdeer, and then when you've decided it's one of the best albums you've ever heard, um, the new one, This Riot Life, should be in your hands shortly. Uh, the The Return of the Killer is one of the best albums I ever have heard. It's totally amazing. It's marvelous, and I don't know where a talent like hers has been hidden, and why no major record label had why she's not, you know, as big as people like Joni Mitchell or uh, Madonna or, you know, any other female artists. It's a mystery. How, how do Maybe you Maybe because she's a little bit too unique. I have a question about Veda, and it's, uh, I read somewhere that you talked about uh, writing songs with her. Any, any, any chance that will happen? Uh, well, she actually visited me on, on, while she was on tour in England. She She came to see me one afternoon, and um, I just said rather blithely, do you want to work on something together? And she said, yeah, sure. So uh, we went into my little shed, little recording hut at the bottom of the garden there. 
uh, and we actually came up with something that is, is vaguely about terrapins or turtles. I can't remember the name of it, but I don't think she's going to use it. Perhaps it's, a, it's not one of the better things that, that, uh, that the pair of us have ever squeezed out. But Veda Healy is V-E-D-A-H-I-L-L-E. All right. She's marvelous. If you don't know who she is, you should really yeah. do yourself a favor and check her I've out. I've got to have a, a thought question, too. Can you please give a little bit more details about that? famous solar barbecue he treated you with <laughs> todd rundgren's solar barbecue <laughs> okay well look i i think mr rundgren could sense that um the atmosphere between us and him was not marvelous and so to make amends he invited us up to his rather modagogo hill top house over there in woodstock which was about a couple of hundred yards away from the recording studio. And we're in the middle of nowhere here. We're in the middle of the woods. You know, there's, there's nothing. There's, the nearest town was about 15 miles away, you know. So if I needed a, a porn mag, I, it was a 30-mile amble. You know, so you're kind of imprisoned there in the middle of nowhere. But he, he to, to make the atmosphere kind of a little gentler between us, he invited the group up to his house, which we weren't allowed to do. We weren't allowed to go up to his house, you know. But he invited us up and said it's, he was going to have a barbecue. And he'd, uh, he'd never used it before, but he'd bought a solar barbecue. Um, you know, explain this, Todd. And he said, well, it's, you know, it uh, magnifies the, the, the sun's rays and um, cooks the meat. And you don't have to use charcoal or matches or, or anything. You know, it just you just lay it out there and away you go. Oi! Um, he laid some strips of steak on this this thing that looked like a sort of black modern sculpture. And our stomachs were hanging out with hunger. And I'd say in about two hours' time, we were treated to some slightly warm <laughs> raw meat. <laughs> it was just inedible. You know, it wasn't even... You could, it, you, you could have done it better if you'd have laid it on the bonnet of a black car. You know, you would have cooked it better. It was... Uh, I, I, th I think the, the solar barbecue after that one outing, I think the solar barbecue went, uh, went into the junk shop in Woodstock after that. Okay, thanks. thanks. Okay, is that that's purr, isn't it? Uh, yeah. That's purr. Yes. Yes, it's purr. I thought I recognised that voice. Yeah. See you soon, purr. See you. Thanks for calling, okay. purr. All right, good stuff. Solar barbecue. All right, so. <laughs> I, I lie not. I, I'm trying to figure out. Okay, we brought this up again about the disagreements with Todd one, and there's been some pretty funny stories. Or apparently, with the first album. I think it was uh, Levon Helm chased him around. Apparently, uh, was so mad at him. He, he seems to irritate people a lot. He even made the guy who wrote "Give Peace a Chance" angry. So there is definitely some social issues there, I guess. Oh yeah, well, you know, like I say, Todd's got some fantastic, <laughs> fantastic abilities. I mean, really stunning abilities with with things like musical arrangement and his technical abilities mm -hmm. and stuff. But he didn't seem to get the people skills gene. Well, can you give me an example of something that really irritated you? Oh, he'd, he'd just be like sarcastically kind of taking the mickey out of you constantly while you're singing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he'd be imitating you and, and like, you know, doing goofy voices as you're trying to sing, you know, try, taking off your accent and stuff like this. Or, you know, I was I was just wearing kind of working man's denim clothes and I, I 
he said to me one day, where'd you get your genes? Russia. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of just these constant personal digs. And I said to him, I said to him, hey, look, you know, these are, these are a little more tasteful than, than some of the sparkly rubbish that you wore with Utopia. And it, it, without a, a hint of any irony, he, he sort of looked totally taken aback. And he said, well, what do you mean? I love those clothes. I still have most of them in my wardrobe now. And and I thought, Jesus, what you mean the kind of, you know, eight foot high stack heeled shoes and sort of feather shoulder pads and mirrored jock straps and stuff. And he is he's taking the piss out of me because I'm wearing denim. <laughs> so so for an American, I, you don't you don't meet many sarcastic Americans, but he really has the the sarcasm muscle honed to a fine point. <laughs> so you and you know there's one thing that gets my back up, that's sarcasm. So even if it's just kidding, he, you thought you know, it was a little too serious. Huh? Um, I, I think it's his way of getting, because when, I don't know whether he still does it like this, but his system of working with people was that you handed over the the cost of, of the album, and that included the studio, the transport, the food, the accommodation, everything. You just gave him one lump sum, and he gave you back the album. And um, I think, therefore, to maximize his profit, he wanted to work very, very, very quickly, which is fine by me, because we can work quickly or we can work slow. But he wanted to work really quickly, so it was like first or second takes of stuff. Um, but uh, what am I leading around to saying here? I'm leading around to saying that... Uh, to to sort of make things go quickly, that you were supposed to agree with everything he said without question. Mm-hmm. Because if you said, look, I'd really like to try it this way if we could, that would put more time on the session. Therefore, he would have to spend longer doing it. And you know, and if if um, if if we had a specific idea for a song and we really wanted to try it. He he wouldn't actually want to hear it. He would actually leave the studio and say, you know, you can dick around with your idea for an hour. When you realize it's not going to work, call me. I'll come back down and we'll do it my way. So, you know, the, this kind of attitude was, was kind of difficult to take sometimes. So typically a producer that you work with, it's a team, more of a team effort where they're... Oh, sure. I mean, a producer is, is like a midwife or something. A producer is there to deliver your baby. It's not their baby. They didn't make it. They're there to deliver it smoothly and painlessly and as beautifully and as healthy as, as they can. Um, you know, and, and that the best producers in the world do that. And um, because Todd's people skills are a little unusual and he does upset people, uh, in fact, um, when you talk to people that have worked with him, they usually have the same kind of upset stories. Uh, but like I say, he does some things that are just faultless. His his musicianship is very primitive, but oddly, his arranging skills are some of the best in the world. And uh, I don't know. He's you know he got some things really great, and then he didn't get other things really great. So, so who's been your favorite producer to work with? If you don't want to uh, make the others mad, <laughs> I mean, um, been your favorite and your favorite as far yeah, as the favorites for a different reason. I mean, the best arranger we ever worked with was Todd, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nicest person to be in the studio with is John Lecky. Um, he did the Duke stuff, and he did our first two albums. Um, he's great. He's uh, he, he just makes you feel so good because he never gets upset. He never gets down. It's always positive. Yeah, this is great. Come on, let's let's do it. You you can do it better. This is great. You know. 
Um, and then I like other people for 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 other reasons, like um, uh, Paul Fox, uh, the American producer who did Oranges and Lemons, was really caring. He really kind of, although he was only a couple of years older than us, he was like actually he might have even been younger. Thinking about it. he had this real sort of fatherly, this real avuncular, kindly caring uncle thing, and wanted to make it all all just right for you and, and that was a, a great feeling you know so di- different producers are people and they have different personalities you know well from a production standpoint just production standpoint which album that xtc did do you think came out the best from a production standpoint? a production standpoint was probably none such actually mm-hmm. um i'd say that's my second favorite of our albums and my first, first favorite, I think, is Apple Venus. Okay. Uh, my second favorite, I think, is Non Such. My third favorite might even be the Dukes of Stratosphere. I don't know whether that counts because that there are alter egos. <laughs> well, I'm the alter ego man, Google Gudub. Um, but uh, for 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 sort of quality of recording and meets quality of mixing meets quality of songwriting, I, I think Non Such would be pretty hard to beat Very good. And, and strangely the fellow who engineered that Barry Hammond has given up working in the studio world he's not a studio engineer anymore hmm. he, he teaches uh, he teaches computer as far as I know hmm. okay alright we're going to go back to callers we got area code 330 hey uh, Doug this is Luke Armour I actually uh, work at Blog Talk Radio Andy pleasure to talk with you hi Luke hi I um, I'm a, I actually work for the company that uh, uh, Doug is using right now, and when he told me you were going to be on, I fell over because I'm a huge fan, and um, you know I kind of criticized him for not telling me sooner, so I couldn't <laughs> tell everybody I know. Uh, but uh, my question is, you, you've kind of touched on this before, you know how the web has changed everything, and of course we see that here where we work, where we allow um, we've changed internet or we've changed talk radio and put it on the internet. How is a musician today? I mean, you could obviously with the web do whatever you wanted. I mean, because you're in a position to do that. Um, supposing you decide to go back to, to doing that. But, you know, can musicians today avoid labels? I mean... Uh, uh, musicians today can totally avoid labels. Um, labels uh, labels uh, uh, as always have been um, a kind of a bank to loan you as much money as you can name. Yeah, I want two million. Okay, you got it. But that two million, you have to pay that back with the most phenomenal interest rates. <laughs> Uh, it'd be much cheaper if you went to a bank to loan those sums of money, and and with that money, um, that money's going to get spent on you know advertising and and shoving you down people's throats. This is why a lot of the big stars are big stars is because you cannot escape the publicity machine. That's where the money gets spent. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the best artists in the world making the best, most interesting music. You may not have even heard of them because they don't have this vast publicity machine behind them. Uh, Veda Hilly is 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 a great example for you know just just to blow my own trumpet a little bit there. She's phenomenal, but no record major record company has ever picked her up, and Ape can't afford to to spend more than a couple of thousand letting people know she's around. But um, you know a lot of what people fall for they're they're suckered in with this the. The, the, the magnet of the publicity thing. And just because you see an artist everywhere doesn't mean they're any good. Well, yeah, we, I, we've all been burnt by that before. Yeah, but um, you'd be amazed how many people still constantly buy that idea. 
Well, oh, they must be really great. I keep seeing them in the papers. I keep seeing their face on the magazine. I keep seeing them on the TV. They must be really brilliant. I'm going to buy the album. And then because you've made the investment of spending money buying it, you're going you're gonna to make sure you're going to like it. You know, and it's, it's really not... Uh, that's coming at music from the wrong angle. You're supposed to like the sound of it. You're not supposed to like the shirt or the hairdo or the fact that they can lose... 14 pounds in a month and you know it's it's uh, too many people still buying this uh, the publicity machine but i think that the whole internet thing is pulling the rug out from under that well where do you what, what's the future in your in your in like an elevator elevator speech what's the future of music i mean well the future of music change? is uh, the money is going to be denying people access to the net that's where the money traditionally the money was in making you buy two ounces of plastic um, for an incredibly inflated price. You know, if it, if it costs two or three cents to make that two ounces of plastic, they're selling it to you for $10. Look, look at the markup on that, you know. Mm -hmm. And so now the markup's going to be uh, getting in the way of you getting your computer signal. All right. Well, thank you very much. So, so watch out. All right, Andy, thank you very much for being on the network today. Uh, Doug, thank you very much, and I'll talk to you guys both right. later. Okay, cheers. It's Luke with Blog Talk Radio. That's where we do the programs. We appreciate Blog Talk, as a matter of fact. You're listening to RungerRadio.com on Blog Talk Radio. Let me give a couple more announcements right quick before we take our next call. Stooky of the Naz in Sellersville, PA, at the Sellersville Theater. That's this Thursday, 221, and then Moogie Klingman, 228 at Triad in New York. Check those out. If you want to see some folks in our network and have been on our shows, we like Stooky and Moogie, so if you get a chance you're in those areas, go check them out. All right, caller, area code 951. Hi, is this Andy? Oh, yes, Hello. the female company at last. <laughs> yeah, the, test, the smell of testosterone was becoming overpowering. Yes, I agree. I love you, and if you're ever single again, come on over to Indiana. <laughs> well, the trouble is I'm single now, my dear. Oh, all right. Mm. <laughs> he said twirling his mustache and adjusting his smoking jacket. i got a few questions. Um... Are you guys ever going to release any of your videos or concert footage or anything like that on DVD? Uh, well, the thing is that the, the, the simple answer is we'd like to, although I'm not particularly proud of any of the videos we've made. Maybe the, the Mole from the Ministry video is the only one that the band really likes because that was the only one that we had a hand in designing and, and having made just how we wanted it. But the others were, um, um, to put it in a nutshell, we were basically told what to do by by Virgin Records, and, and a lot of them just look well crap for want of a nice word, you know. Um, but seeing as Virgin Records own the um, the copyright to these videos, uh, we're negotiating with them, and it's sort of coming to a to a head right now that um, uh, if if everything goes well, Virgin will be putting out a, a kind of a DVD collection of, of the singles as such. And then hopefully we would get the rights to put out anything else. So there we could scour the planet for live performances or we could use, um, you know, the more obscure videos and stuff. Like, I, I don't think there's anybody on earth has seen the, the video we made for Hang On to the Night, for example. <laughs> so there's a lot of obscure stuff there. It's just we have to... I'm, I'm getting dull and boring and contractual here, but just to speed this along, it, we have to, um, you know, agree with Virgin to... Uh, uh, to let them to put out the uh, the single thing. So maybe within the next year, hopefully. That would be great. 
Another question I have is, in the past, you've mentioned that you really like the Kinks song, Autumn Almanac. Oh, I love it. The Kinks, the, yeah. That song is, is enormous for me. Do you have any songs that are, I guess, similar with a the theme of fall or that you're planning on writing? I mean, I uh, any? You, like, a lot of your songs have, like, kind of seasonal themes, like season cycle or maybe Easter. Yeah, it's, it's one of those themes that I can't seem to break away from, you know, the continual cycle of, of life, birth, death whether it's people or the year or the the weather or plants or this whole cycle of birth, life and death, birth, life and death thing. Um, yeah, I'm working on some things at the moment, but I'm trying really hard not to not to duplicate myself again. And, and damn it, it's it's really frustrating. Maybe I should just say, hell, that's one of your favorite themes. Just just do it again. Just 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 let it all out. But I'm. I'm trying very hard not to not to replicate the same stuff over and over. But uh, some of some of the best things I think we've done have been along that theme, like Easter Theater, um, Season Cycle, uh, to name two. You know, they're they're two of my favorite of our songs, and they they both happen to be on that. Um, or another one, uh, uh, the Wheel and the Maypole. Um, that's uh, they're all on the theme of the the cycle of of birth, life, and death. Sometimes you've got somewhat of a kind of a pagan theme in there. Have you ever read Thomas Treon's book, Harvest Home? Uh, no, I haven't. But no, um, I, I recently it. finished, let me see, it's here in the in the bookcase. Where is it? Uh, I recently finished, I've got to get the, uh, well, I finished Phallic Worship, The History of Se uh, Sex and Sexual Rights. That was really interesting. And Ronald Hatton's uh, The Pagan Religions of the Ancient British Isles. That's pretty good stuff too so yeah I, I i feel very connected to the land and the, and the sense of uh the land gives birth to you and um it's that that intermarriage you know one last question i have is i remember hearing an interview with you uh talking about your next album being kind of a thing where you you go to the beach and, in england and you interview these characters that are on the beach side that are you know doing these tricks and like I don't know the name of, the, of what these guys are called, but they do these tricks and they put these shows on for the public. And you're going to go around and interview these guys and have those like clips of those interviews interspersed with the songs. Is there any plan for that coming up in the future? At all? No, that was a, that was a concept from some time back. I mean, that was my kind of my fascination with the British seaside as well, which keeps keeps creeping at the fairground and the seaside. Right. Uh, you see that in in loads of stuff. You know that that's another another continuous theme that bubbles up. And at one time we were trying to get some funding from Virgin to to perform on British piers. You know a pier? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, we we were going to perform on British piers and, um, uh, you know, talk to the last surviving kind of circus people in England or the last surviving kind of freak show people and stuff. But we couldn't get the funding to do it. So unfortunately the whole idea had to get put by the wayside. But, you know, it's... Touching on that that subject, that that's a subject that I also love is the the idea of the fairground and uh, uh, and, and specifically the fairground and or the seaside. So they're they're in a lot of songs. And here's my last question: What happened to all your toy soldiers? I heard the ceiling in your house collapsed from the weight of all of them. Yeah, they're they're still up there. They're hanging on by their little metal hands. Uh, yeah, I, I, everyone knows I'm pretty obsessed with toy soldiers and. Um, some fans actually send me some occasionally, which is really nice of them. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, what can I say? Duh, you caught me. I like toy soldiers. 
right. Well, thanks a lot. I love all your music. Oh, thank you. Hey, thanks for calling. All right. Well, Actually, bowed. How, 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 how my manners are ingrained in me. I, I stood up and bowed as she left the telephone line there. <laughs> well, you got your date if you ever go to Indiana. We know that. Yeah, I have. Hey, hot, 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 in Indiana. Hey, uh, hey, uh. Uh, we got another international call. I believe uh, two six no two six seven three are the final four numbers. You with us? Hi, it's Laura. Hey, Laura. Hey. Oh, hello, Laura. <laughs> hey, this is good. The the the, the sex the balance is getting much more even there. I I think it is a little. I thought I'd call from the UK and just say hello to everybody in the chat room. Where are you calling from in England? Um, Worthing near Brighton. Oh, you're near Brighton. Okay, yeah. a lovely neck of the woods. Well, not too bad. We've got quite a lot of uh, wood that's washed up on the coast. Have you got it down that way? Uh, no, we don't have any coast here. I'm, I'm landbound. I'm in Wiltshire, you see. So. Yeah, but if you go in a little bit, you'll probably see all the coast is actually covered in, in wood at the moment. Oh, what, from, from wrecked container yeah. ships and yeah, stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's the, the beach has been floorboarded over. That's right, yeah. Absolutely piled high here. So, anyway, I got my question through to you earlier about Mike Keneally, which I was really interested to hear. Oh, right, that was your question, yeah. Mike's brilliant, actually. He's, he's such a shockingly good musician. You know, he just plays the guitar, and you just have to put your guitar down and sort of, well, I give up then, that's it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of <laughs> he's Mike. He's that good. Yeah, pretty good. And um, what I'd like to ask, really, you know, what, you know, working with Mike, and you said, you know, you're just waiting for him to pull his finger out, really, and... Um, you know, sort of maybe work together in the future. That's what you're hoping for. What would be your ideal band to get together, Andy? You know, if you could put an ideal band together now. Wow. What, what would you put do you know that's together? almost impossible to answer because... Um, you, do you mean as a, as a fantasy one-off great drunken evening or do you yeah, mean as a, a career? great drunken evening, yeah. Great drunken evening, okay. Um... Oh, we'd probably have somebody like um, somebody really uh, Tony Williams, a jazz drummer on drums. There you go. He just, he just, his his drumming just sounded like a massive wall of of water rushing towards you. Um, and then on bass, we might have somebody like Jack Bruce, who, who in my mind was the lead instrument in Cream. You know, Eric was just retreading a lot of cliches, and there was Jack playing the most fantastic out there bass you know so he might be the bass player um on vocals uh, um oh who should we have somebody a little bit different on vocals mm. not the usual kind of choices um yeah somebody um somebody i always wish i sounded like when i sang but his name's just leapt out of my head um he's a trumpet player Died of drugs overdose. Really beautiful white fella, chiseled face. <laughs> oh come on! What's his name? It's gone out of my brain box. Isn't that terrible? When yeah. you're on live, it'll something. come to you later. It will. It'll wake me up about three in the morning, and <laughs> yeah. I'll suddenly get. It's Chet Baker. That's who it That's is. That's it. Yep. So we'll have Chet Baker on vocals because he sang like he played trumpet. His voice and his trumpet are the same tone, the same phrasing. It's it's shocking. It's beautiful. So we'll have him on vocals. Um, on guitar, we'll have to have my guitar hero, Ollie Halsell. Um, he, he, I think he did his best work for a band called Pato, P-A-T-T-O. And if you buy the first two Pato albums on the Vertigo label, the guitar playing is really thrilling. The songs aren't up to much, but the guitar playing is really like a, a thrill ride to the nth degree. 
Um, so there you go. So that would be the, the line-up for a great drunken evening, I think. That sounds really great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I shall be listening back to the archives later and writing those down, looking them out a bit. Oh, well, you, well if you yeah. don't know... Um, if I know you don't some know, of them, but... A yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's great. Thanks for answering that. All right, cheers, Laura. Talk to you. Yeah. And I hope somebody else from the UK phones in, because I hear that quite a few people were trying to get through. We've heard yes, what's the matter with you? Come along. Yeah, You're letting the here. side down. Damn it. In the chat room, they're taking the mickey out of our accents right. at the moment. Yeah. Tell what you had to dial to get in. Okay, Doug, I'm going to ring off now. No, no, no. What did you have to do to get in? What did you put in? the? Oh, uh, somebody on the chat room gave me the code. Okay. Um, But when I dialed in earlier, I think the lines were jammed or something, because I was using that code earlier. Okay. Um, And I think it only, you know, you can get about 12 calls through, then it rings up engage. What's the code? I mean, what's the uh, code? What code? O double one, I think it is. But now I've written it down. O O one um, six four six. Okay. Oh, one. Yep. All right. Good deal. Okay. Took a UK guest to get the UK caller Laura in here, but it worked. We finally got you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for calling in. Take care. Very good. Bye. Bye. As England sinks slowly in the west. (laughs) All right. We've got a. I had this question a couple times by email and and on a couple of uh, message boards. People wanted me to ask you about collaborating with Robin Hitchcock. Oh yeah, we're we're doing it again next week as well. Um, he he spent a period of time on tour with um, I think he was out with a piano player for a while, and I think he also played with um, was it Peter Buck? I can't think of the uh, the personnel in the band, but anyway, he was being a sort of a live rockist noisemaker for a bit, and then he rang me up a couple of days ago, and um, uh, because I actually mixed, uh, finished off and mixed one of the recordings we'd made down here before he went off on tour. And it's a song called Turn Me On Dead Man, which um, a lot of Beatles fans had the theory that John Lennon was saying this buried in, I think it was one of the things that was supposed to be buried in Strawberry Fields Forever. And of course, he's not saying Turn Me On Dead Man, he's saying Cranberry Sauce. But um, so Robin went and wrote a song called Turn Me On Dead Man, and, and um, we uh, recorded it and arranged it, and I played on it, and he played on it, and da da da. We sort of put the thing together as a, as a, a unit, you know. And I mixed it, and I zapped it over to him. He said, this is fantastic. When can I come down and do some more stuff? So hopefully he's coming down at the end of this week. Excellent. All right. Yeah. Good deal. Robin, he's got there. He's good. I like Robin. He's he's a very uh, intelligent and interesting fellow. Very good. All right. We have a call from area code 612. Uh, me? Yep. Oh, hello, Andy. Hey. I, actually, I like it. I, everybody must be really confused because you just say the area code, and I <laughs> I don't know. Do people think of themselves as area codes? <laughs> it's the only way to identify them. Uh, I like well, you, I don't, you know, Minneapolis, I suppose, is, I don't know. We had one other call from here, but, you know, we, we don't think it's – no one thinks it's really ever them, whether, you know, whether it's <laughs> – That's true. You know, gonna get the the or the fetid uh, finger uh, of fate is pointing at you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, you know, I don't want to uh, – I don't want to be super slow and drawn out here, but um, anyways, you're you know continual source of inspiration, pure pleasure, all that you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, anyways, my question was, you know, for many years I've uh, alongside you and you know Colin and XTC, I've been a huge fan of Joe Jackson. Oh yeah. Was, well, yeah, I was basically just wondering, you know, what you knew, you know, if you knew them personally, what your feelings were towards. Uh, uh, I've only ever met him once. I know Joe covers a couple of songs of us live. I think he does Mayor of Simpleton and yeah. Senses Working Overtime. Yeah, well, and he did, uh, 
Statue of Liberty on that. Uh, that's, oh, that's right, on that, that tribute album. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and somebody... To him stylistically a lot. I mean, I hear people say that. He, I, I don't think we're, we're anything like what Joe does and vice versa. I mean, he's got his own little niche going there. I think he lives in Berlin at the moment, doesn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, I met him once, funny enough, on a German TV show in which um, I, I felt rather ambushed. We, we, uh, we did a mime to... Um, uh, what was it, Mayor of Simpleton, and then nobody told me that the, the cut and thrust of this show, the, the theme for that week was they were going to hit the guests and, with interviews about fascism and, and Germ- you know, Nazism in Germany, and I didn't know. You know, we did this mime of, uh, of, uh, of Mayor of Simpleton. It was like, okay, well, let's get back to the hotel, get drunk and fly home. And uh, the, the interviewer, Whipped on me. So, Andy, you know, you have a, you have a funny comedy film with, um, you, you're having a postcard of Charlie Chaplin uh, to, and he is the great dictator, and you're saying this is your view of Germany, and I felt really put on the spot, you know, because nobody told me that, that this show had a sort of heavy theme each week, and this week's theme just happened to be what fun larks those Nazis were, you know. But that was the show that I met Joe Jackson. He were, we were chatting backstage, and Jesus, he's tall. Yeah. Yeah, he's like he's two jacks in one fella. suit stood on stood on each other's shoulders. He's really tall. Yeah, it's, I've seen him, you know, I've seen him live, and it's almost awkward what his... his his stance is like he knows he's towering. He's yeah, yeah, he, he like tries to shrink a bit. I mean, I'm no, I, I'm no, no midget at six foot, but he's, you know, he's the rest, you know. Yeah. Well, so, I, you know, I, I was thinking, and it's on the same theme as tons of people have, you know, we've already touched on collaborations, and I just, you know, you're, it is stylistically different, but there are a lot of, you know, similarities in the relationship with. You know, Graham may be his bassist. You know, I just think he's terrific, and I also feel that way about, you know, Collins playing. Would you ever consider or have you thought about, you know, striking up that if the chance ever, you know? Uh, With with Joe Jackson? Yeah. Uh, Actually, there was something in the air um, a little while back about it, and I can't remember what happened. It was like some rumblings of, oh, I, I know Joe Jackson, and... It'd be great if you two could collaborate, and I said, "Yeah, sure, we'll give it a go." And then I never heard anything, so maybe it was, you know, maybe this person was bullshitting me, or or it was just, you know, he was too busy, or he didn't want to collaborate. I mean, not everyone wants to collaborate. I'm happy to collaborate because I don't think I have anything to lose. It's it's all music, and it's you're all part of that musical experience. But some people really can't do it. It's an ego thing where you. You know, they they have to be in sole charge of their creations, but uh, uh, I, I'm not like that. Well, I suppose I'm like that in one way. If somebody wanted to collaborate with me, they'd have to record it. I wouldn't want to record it. So, yeah, there you go. I've answered my own question. So, wait, you're saying that if, if it was... Wait, so, okay. Yeah, if somebody wrote with me, it'd have to be for their benefit. Okay, all right. But if they wrote with me, the only thing that anyone's ever written with me, and it was for their benefit, but it was the only time that we've ever done that where I really, really wanted to record the song myself and still might do is uh, that session with Mike Keneally where the, that song I mentioned earlier, Your House. It's called Your House, right. Your House, yeah. And, and anybody knows Mike or, or knows how to get in contact with Mike, uh, zap him and say, get off your ass and, and uh, get recording Your House because it's a wonderful song. And I've never... You know, sorry, Mike. I've never even heard of him. So, but maybe now it's uh, you know. Mike Keneally was a guest 
on one of these shows, so go back in the archives, you can hear a lot about him. He was on for a couple hours. Good guitar. Yeah, he's guitar. a frighteningly good guitar yeah. player. He was in Steve Vai's band, Keeping oh. Up with Steve Vai. So you know he's he's as good as Steve Vai. He looks like an he looks like a little middle-aged accountant, but he plays guitar like the devil itself. <laughs> he toured All with right. Frank Zappa too one year, so he's 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 out. There. Oh, Mike Canadian. You yeah. know, and there I might know him. I get tons of Zappa's material. So and then anyway, yeah, he's flat, a frightening uh, guitarist. One more thing, and right. you, you gotta you gotta fight the fight to get some XTC songs out for uh, karaoke. Because you go out there, <laughs> occasionally Mayor of Simpleton you'll find. Still haven't found making plans for Nigel, surprisingly, but good Lord, I want to go out and get wasted and sing some XTC. So. Well, I'd actually love to, to put out all of our, because somewhere in the vaults, you know, we have all of our tracks without any vocals on. Really? Because they were called TV tracks. When, you, when you're mixing an album, you mix the tracks and uh, a thoughtful producer a thoughtful engineer will say okay let's just run this through now we've got the killer mix let's just run this through without any vocals in case you have to do it on a TV show and it's a TV track so you, you're singing live on TV to a backing track which is your own track if you see what I didn't I mean. know they did that I thought it was either like completely mimed or completely live no most most TV things or they have been in the past have been a, like a live vocal over uh, the actual track itself. Um, so somewhere in the vaults, Virgin, for example, would have an awful lot of our material. I'd say probably all of it, um, which has got no vocal on. So you could sing along to anything on any album. I mean, I'd love to put that stuff out, but let's see how these renegotiations go. But um, you never know. You could buy a, a box set of uh, XTC karaoke. There you oh, go. Brilliant. There is one. <laughs> there's the instrumentals for uh, the the latest two, though, right? Which I yeah, that was that was because we owned the masters to those, so we could right. actually do that. But like I say, somewhere in the Virgin Vaults is is literally everything we've ever recorded without any vocals on, the same mixes, but uh, no singing, and that would be great fun. I'd even enjoy that myself. Yeah, come on out. Come to, a, come to Minneapolis Chatterbox Sunday nights. We'll, we'll all have a It's a long way for a pint, but yeah, I'll see if I can spread. Be, be careful what you wish for when you start listening to karaoke now. <laughs> all right. Thanks yeah, a lot. Hey, man. thanks a lot. Okay, bye. Okay, all right. We're running. we got about 18 minutes left, so if you want to call, you better get in. 646-716-9262. You're listening to Run the Radio with Andy Partridge is our guest, XTC. Okay, so we got some callers. We got a couple of them actually will be able to say their names, so that we'll get a little treat here. And I'm going to go female since we just had mail. And there is a female that typically calls the show. We call her Cruiser Mail. She's a great guest, and she has a question that she's always wanting to know. That's pretty funny. We have a good time with it because she's going to write a book about about this subject. So she has a substitute because she has a family illness she's dealing with, and we're thinking about the Cruiser Mail. So Wendy from Texas is going to ask this question, and Wendy, you are. Not with us yet. Let me see if I can get you unmuted here. So this is Wendy from San Antonio, Texas, and she Hello. is on air. There you are. How Hello. About? Hey. Hey, Wendy. Um, it's nice to talk with uh, both of you again. Um, Andy, uh, back in about 80, I had uh, interviewed you for a Texas magazine called It's Only Rock and Roll. 80, wow. B.C. or A.D.? <laughs> Roughly like that. Uh, you had, uh, XCC had opened for the police in Austin. Oh, the shame, the shame, yeah, uh, yeah, I remember. Oh, but you were wonderful. I passed Sting on the way to talk to the tour manager to set up the interview, and uh, at the time, uh, the reason I'm mentioning this is when you and I did the interview on the phone, 
you had taken the time out uh, to um, change the laundry from the uh, washer to the dryer and then called back. And the question is, basically, who normally does your laundry? Oh, me. Me. I love doing laundry. It's almost sexual with me. I love sorting out the colors. Yeah, we're going to get all the reds. Uh, okay, that's, that's red. That purple is red enough to be included in the reds. No, that's got too much yellow in it. That's going to go in the yellows. I love getting that whole, you know, organizing the palette of colors. And I love the smell and the comforting jugada 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 sound, you know. <laughs> I just, uh, hey, laundry, it's sex for me. Oh, goodness. What about when you're on tour? How do you get it done? Oh, well, you just you just sit in some really crummy kind of uh, laundrettes, you know, with with alcoholic members of various Red Indian tribes and tumbleweeds blowing past the door. It's not quite the same thrill, but when I'm home, it's um, it's 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 pure sex. Me and the laundry bin. Ah. <laughs> well, I thank you for answering the question. And may have not have been the answer you were expecting, but uh, not not really. If I had known at the time. Uh, back all those years ago, I would have asked you more questions about the laundry. <laughs> Instead, yeah. I remember you mentioning something about describing Swindon as uh, um, the last little bit of a beverage in a bottle of uh, soda or something. You know, I, I don't remember exactly the phrasing, but uh. Swindon is a wart on the face of an exceptionally beautiful woman. That beautiful woman is Wiltshire. And Swindon just happens to be the wart. Ah. <laughs> there you go. That's refined it even further. Oh, wonderful. Well, I'm still a fan, and uh, I just I was very overwhelmed and amazed, and uh, immediately uh, before the interview got a hold of everything you had ever uh, produced, uh, including the uh, imports. And so uh, I'm glad to continue this, um, listening. Um Someone on the chat had uh, been asking, at this point, because of what's going on with um, Colin, is there a chance that XCC is now going to be defunct, or is what are plans? Yeah, well, I don't think we're going to be um, going to end up on a bummer here. I can hear it coming. Um, I don't think we're we're ever going to be uh, reforming as XTC with Colin because Dave and I would not perform or record with Colin again. There's there's um, just too much bad blood between Dave and Colin and myself and Colin. Um, but uh, and and I, although I thought of the name XTC in 1975. I don't actually legally own it, so um, I'm sure Colin would want to prevent me from doing anything with the name XTC. And I, I, to be fair, I think the XTC was the band. It's not just me, or it's not just me and a, and a loose bunch of any other people, so maybe that's a good thing. But I can't see us recording. I, I can see me possibly working with Dave. Um, and even Terry Chambers, I hear, is drumming again, so that's great news. But um, I, I don't see any of us working with Colin, but that's too long an answer to really go into the detail. Hmm. Well, that gets to the gist of it. I think everybody yeah, there you go. So, no. <laughs> There's some business issues and other issues with Colin. All right, so we have got Roger on the line. Hey, Doug, thanks for letting me call back. Sure. Hey, uh, Colin. Uh, Hi, Roger. I, just, I almost called you Colin. Andy, before yeah, well, you can if you like. <laughs> before I ask my question, uh, doesn't Purr sound like a Swedish porn star? 
He does. I've I've met him actually. He's uh, he's a nice he's a nice little rotund Swede. Very jolly. He's a big fisherman like me, so we've chatted before. Oh, why is it with fishing? I tried fishing once, and apart from the fact that I accidentally threw my uncle's sandwiches in as bait and and tried eating the bait by mistake. Well, there's where you went wrong. But that's why, yeah, that was that was uh, it was uh, it was a, just a bum experience. From the, I never got into fishing. Oh, here's my question. You have to, well, not even a question. Just explain the rubber shark to everybody. Uh, I knew somebody was going to do the rubber shark story. Uh, um, well, I think everybody knows the rubber shark story. If you don't, don't know the rubber shark story, all I'm going to say is that in Melbourne, in Australia, I found a soft, foot-long rubber shark that I was feeling particularly horny that day. And I didn't want to cheat on my wife, so I thought, you know what? That rubber shark looks really inviting, that soft mouth of that rubber shark. I'm just going to buy it. And I did, and that was the best blowjob I think I've ever had. So if there's anyone out there can better a rubber shark, let me know. It was the, the whole suction effect. It was, it was great. That's all, without getting into details, that's all I'm going to say. So it didn't bite. Most people just didn't it did, bite. definitely didn't bite, and it did not have a name. Mm. Most people just use a sock. Well, no, sock is not. No, this this was great. It was soft and it had the vacuum effect, and it was oh, it was just great. The, the trouble is, it looked like a shark, and it was kind of surreal. Dun dun. <laughs> yeah, dun 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 dun. All right, thanks, Andy. Okay, do. <laughs> I should have been prepared for the shark story. I knew somebody was going to ask the shark story. Why is it every band has a shark story? I think Led Zeppelin have a shark story and. I'm sure the Stones have got a shark story as well. I'm sure Keith has smoked one. <laughs> no question about that. All yeah. Right, let's see. We are trying. All right. We have a caller from area code 213. Oh, my Go. God. Hi. Hello. Hi. It's uh, This is Kim from L.A. Hi, Kim. I'm actually, I'm actually uh, on the message board all the time, and I wanted to say... Hi, oh, you're you. Kim, the one that guesses what songs Todd's going to oh, talk about right. the week he before said, he guesses yeah. them. You're just a little sort of, yeah, you're, you, you have the, the power of foresight or whatever they call it. <laughs> the power of four eyes. Well, I'm, it's, it's appropriate I'm calling from L.A. because my husband's a screenwriter and I'm a struggling screenwriter myself. And what we do is we listen to your music and it helps us write. Ah, I'm a struggling screen repair man. You know, if you've got like holes in your screen of your door and you don't want the moths getting in, just call me. All right. Well, my question is, um, since Daddy Elfman is so good with uh, film scores and doing soundtracks, I was wondering whether you were ever asked to do that because I I just think that Monstrance is great. Literally, a couple of weeks ago, I got asked to contribute. um, Could I write a a substitute happy birthday for a a new film with Christopher Walken in called $5 a Day? Um, And they wanted it to be performed by some waitresses in an international house of pancakes scene. Okay. So um, I wrote a substitute because they were too mean to pay the uh, the royalty on Happy Birthday, ah. and so they said, "Would I write uh, a substitute Happy Birthday, and could it involve the the name International House of Pancakes as well?" So I did that literally a couple of weeks ago. So I'm awaiting a contract right now. So if you go and see um, 
hopefully they, they'll, they'll use it in the scene. But if you go and see the film, that's, uh, I guess it's due out later this year. It's called um, $5 a Day, and it's got Christopher Walken in it. And if, if he's in an international house of pancakes and the, the waitresses uh, bring him a birthday cake, the song they sing will be mine. That's great. That's well, an obscure I mean, fact. There's, there's, there's so many uh, songs that you've written where I can just picture them in movies to the background of, of any montage or any characters with exactly like stu- stupidly happy or um, you're really super, super girl. I, I'm always amazed that people haven't used uh, more of our music for ads, actually. I mean, stupidly happy is just built to sell something. Right. And, and nobody's chosen it. So, hey, you know, who knows? My other question is, um, I, I guess I'm just so obsessed with The Big Express. I think it's it's a fantastic album, and I think it's so screaming to be made into a musical. And so the, my other question is, have you ever thought about writing a musical? I have, actually, rather a lot. Um, it'd certainly be, be a better musical than it would be on ice, if you see what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Of course, if it was the mid-'70s, it would have to be on ice, and Rick Wakeman would have to be something to do with it. Uh, I'd love to write a musical. Um, I actually, part of me fantasizes about doing an opera. Now, I don't particularly like opera, but just so I could prove to myself that I could take that type of music and somehow defeat it and and, and, and achieve opera, operation, I can't think of the word. Um, part of me would like to do an opera, but uh, I, I don't think I'd like the idea where somebody makes a story up and then fits a load of your songs in to sort of make the story or vice versa. They try and write a story that connects a lot of your songs. I, you know, like We Will Rock You, that kind of thing. I don't, I don't think I like the idea of that. But I do like the idea of of writing um, songs specifically for a film. In fact, I uh, about two years ago, I wrote, um, wrote a treatment for a, a story I came up with. It was a cross-dressing western and the byline on the poster was um, the Wild West where men are men and so are the women. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to give the whole story away because uh, it Don't might get it. made one of these days. Who knows? But I would, I would have loved to have made that a musical as well. <laughs> yeah. Can't be giving that up because she may steal it since she's a screenwriter. Okay, there you we got go. a call from area code 509. Hello. Hello. Hey. Andy? Yes. Carl again, calling from Washington State. I had to ask you if this was true. When you were working with Todd and Woodstock, was it true that the band, you and the band, would play the theme song to the Munsters when you saw Todd coming down the trail to the studio? It's absolutely true, because uh, the studio was like a couple of hundred yards away from his house, which was up on the hill. Um, you'd arrange to meet there, say, say, 10 in the morning or whatever, and you'd be in there, you know, sat around with guitars, kind of warming up and stuff. And because it was uh, windows on three sides of the ground floor of the studio, you could see anybody coming down the hill. And he'd be coming down the hill. And then one day I said, you know, because he's got some serious length on him, Todd, you know, um, I started to play the theme to the monster. Because the, the other two fell about laughing and joined in jamming it. Then every morning that he came down to the studio, as, as soon as somebody burst into the Munsters theme, you knew that Todd was like, you know, 30 seconds away. So, yeah, it's true. <laughs> what about... There I can still play it, actually. I've got a guitar. I wonder if you could hear this down the phone. Hang on. Uh, let's see. Uh, get it. I need a plectrum. Uh, puts hand in 
bottomless pocket, nine foot drop pocket. Oh, let's see, what is it? Uh, yeah, I haven't forgotten it. Like <laughs> that because it was like an analogy about how Todd. Well, yes, because he he does kind of give off that Fred Gwynn sort of vibe. Let's be fair. So did y'all did were y'all responsible for the the Toddzilla part that was in this promo you had for oranges and lemons? Oh yeah, actually that was a, that was a um, a fan sent me a toilet roll holder that when you pulled a, a sheet of toilet paper off, the the plastic Godzilla growled. You know, you you pulled off a sheet. I mean, what one sheet of toilet paper is good for? I don't know, but when you pulled one sheet off, it would be rawr, like that. You know, and uh, seeing as that that little uh, stupid piece of footage called the the. Um, I can't remember what it was called there, the road to oranges and lemons or something. That was never meant to be seen by the public. That was that little crazy toy film was made to introduce us to the Geffen record company. Uh-huh. And uh, we were told that it was never going to be shown to the public. And so we could be as stupid as we want. And we did. And what happens? It starts getting shown everywhere, you know. <laughs> should have bootlegged it yourself. Yeah, should have bootlegged it myself. You'd never trust a record company. But, um, yeah, so that was my toilet roll holder. The, I, I just changed the Godzilla to Toddzilla, but that was my, my, my Godzilla toilet roll dispenser. There you go. All right, we've got three minutes left. Let me go on record as your host just saying I like Todd Rudgren. <laughs> yeah, I do. I think he's all right. We've had some fun with this, uh, you know, thinking at him, but, you know, all that good stuff. But, yay. We're all fans here listening, I'm sure, hopefully. Anyway, 703, this is Todd speaking up. Not Todd Rugger, but Todd, right? Hey, guys. What's up, man? Thanks, Doug, for letting me come back on again. I know sure. we only got three minutes, but I wanted to ask kind of, this is seriously kind of a big question, because it made me, uh, what made me think of it was somebody asking about the, the nature of the music business and the future and, and what's going to happen. And, Andy, I wanted to ask you, with your albums, a lot of times people would buy them on the strength of the, of the single, which you've talked about as the the sweet, right? But then you get, as you listen to the album, you get into the meat and two veg of it. And, you know, I'm wondering what you think about the the nature of the Internet and the fact that people are just buying individual songs now and they're not, you know, quote-unquote, committing themselves to an entire album. They don't need to do that. Yeah. Well, I actually think that that the... I, I love albums. I love the connections that get made when you hear one track going into another, going into another, going in. It makes um, a series of flavors in your head. You know, you still have the, the flavor of the, of the Brussels sprout in your mouth, and then you get the, the next track is like a flavor of a potato, and then the next track might be the flavor of some licorice or something. And, and you get this, 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 uh, these connections made in your head. One track goes into another, and... Uh, you can't always turn that off. Even when I hear one song from a favorite album, I immediately think of the one previous and the next one coming. But having said that, I always try and make albums, or, or certainly where, so far as songs are concerned, where every song could have been a single, and they would have stood alone if you'd have heard them alone. So I, I think in a way that, that people just buying an individual track is, is great. It's fine. It's like back to the days of seven-inch vinyl singles. So you're okay? You don't think that a song like uh, Liar Bird or Everyday Story of Small Town, for instance, might get passed over because of 
you know. No, I don't think so because you know what? In uh, when I was younger, if if somebody had put out uh, bought myself a lyrebird as a single at one time, that stood every chance of getting in the top ten, as well as as did a brass band record or a piece of proto heavy metal or uh, a slushy MOR ballad or. You know, I think tastes were more wide open, and and a single didn't have to be so sort of blandly, kind of idiotically commercial. It it could be a little bit more experimental at one time. Right, right. And I think that's healthy. I think it's healthy that that people. I, I think if you, if you if you it's still the taster principle because if you download a couple of tracks by by a band that you don't know who the hell they are, but you like those tracks, surely you're going to go off and go. You know, I like them so much. I might check out what else they've done. Yep. So you know, you you have them hooked. <laughs> All right, Todd. Thanks for calling. We only got about thirty seconds left. We're gonna move into archive mode. I'm gonna ask one more question and then play a song at the end. So you're gonna have to come back and listen to the archive if you want to hear it. We appreciate Andy Partridge being our guest. This is Runger Radio at RungerRadio.com. Great show. Thanks for all the calls. We hope you enjoyed the show. And here we go. My last question, one of the few that I get answered. Yeah, you've got to make it quick because I'm, I'm feeling horny. I might need to do some laundry. <laughs> you might have to go find the shark or get the laundry going. Yeah, get the shark or get the laundry going. <laughs> All right, good deal. All right, now I didn't read. I know there's some new stuff where you've been interviewed about the song, Dear God. I didn't read it because I didn't want my question to be tainted with any pre-information. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to uh, – I really like the song, by the way, of course. It's really good. And – the, the philosophy that I've been taught is that there, there's things that happen bad on earth. There's a method to the madness, and we're just not supposed to know what that is because, you know, we're just not to that intelligence level, I guess. And I'm taking it this song, you're not buying that philosophy at all. No, the madness is, is human madness. Nature isn't mad. Nature is nature. The, the madness is human madness. So, you know, why can't we behave ourselves? Why can't we get it sorted out? Why do we... Oh, you asked me a giant question, and I've got like four seconds left. No, no, you can talk all you want. We're in we're in archive mode. Oh, okay. We're going to so have to come back and listen. It's being recorded. Wow, this this is uh, I mean this is a vast question. This is like I, you, you you've asked me one of the biggest question possibly ever. Excellent. And uh, hmm, I mean, how many years have you got here? <laughs> well, I thought I would bring it up. They didn't, and you know, because it is it's uh, it's a song where you can you could interpret it that. You're saying, "Hey God, why aren't you coming and solving all these problems?" But then you no, really, dear God was the God is a paradox, and the idea that people believe in God is paradoxical. And I like the paradox of addressing a letter or talking to somebody that you don't believe exists, but you're addressing a letter or talking to them, asking if they do exist. Why can they be such a bastard? And it's 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 the whole paradox thing of that. You see what I mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's sort of in a nutshell. But uh, as for the subject of human belief, and it is human belief, because I'm sure animals don't get hung up on the whole God thing. They don't need to. They're, they're too close to nature. Sure. What kind of controversy did you get in with this song? Do you recall any? Oh, yeah. I'd, um, you know, nasty male. You're going to burn in hell <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. And... Um, couple of radio stations that played it one of them got threatened with fire bombing oh there was uh, some some kid in a school in the states somewhere that held his principal and secretary to knife point um and 
until they played Dear God over the school PA system. Because <laughs> he it, apparently this song expressed something he thought and couldn't didn't know how to say it, so he had to kidnap the uh, the principal and his secretary to 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 get them to play the song so the whole school could hear it. Um, lots of people sending me religious literature, telling me I'm going to hell, uh, that sort of stuff. Um, but hey, you know, I don't mean. Gonna, to, I don't mean. To I, I tell you, the, the most hurtful stuff came from Christians. Really? Because I don't. Mean the nastiest, to... the nastiest, most hurtful stuff, the most unchristian stuff, came from people claiming to be serious, deep Christians. So. You you obviously weren't trying to offend them. Do you feel like they should? Be I, I I don't think. Why should you be offended by if if you if you have a belief in God? Why should be you be offended by somebody who's saying they don't believe in God? Surely your belief goes deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? If I say there is no God, then if you believe in God, you're going to say, well, he's entitled to his opinion. Right. You know why? Why does it get their backs up so? It gets their backs up because they're not sure themselves. They they. They have, you know, they really stood on shifting ground there. Most most uh, religious people, because their 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 sanity tells them this is adult fairy tale stuff. So, is the song you believe it to have anything to do with maybe trying to get them to question their beliefs? Um, no, I think it was the the end of a lot of questioning for me because I was so wound up about this subject as a child. That I got myself into a terrible state, a state enough to see, um, and this sounds pretty crazy, but uh, if you get yourself worked up about anything, you can see this stuff. As a child, I actually, in the clouds, I saw the clouds part, and, and God was sat in heaven with a load of angels mm-hmm. uh, to prove to me that they existed. And I think this was purely, I don't think, you know, let's not have a shrine built where I saw this, but uh, and, and don't come expecting me to cure you of syphilis and stuff like that or making you walk if you're lame. But I did actually, as a kid, see a a religious, um, you know, a a heavenly vision in the sky because I was so wound up about this whole thing of of, uh, did God exist or did God not exist. So writing that song was a sort of an exorcism for me. Hmm. Very good, Nate. Because, you know, there's been some recent articles I've been reading, and it's about songs and how they influence children today because there's just so many ways to listen to them with the iPods and everything. And, you know, most of the songs today, though, they seem to be getting away from uh, religion and more into drugs and some other things. And they were Well, drugs are not cool. They never are cool. Forget it. Drugs are just for idiots. That's, that's all there is to it. There's no way of making drugs cool. People say, oh, yeah, but the Beatles made a great album and they took acid. Yeah, but when they took acid, they stopped making a great album and just played a load of gibberish, which when they came in the next day, they wiped it immediately because it was crap. Drugs doesn't create things. The best a drug can do for you, the very, very best, it can make you think slightly differently about something. And then when you're stone cold sober with your new state of mind, you can then think about creating something a bit different but that's the best it can do for you you don't nobody creates anything on drugs i don't care who you want to mention uh musicians writers they don't create on drugs they usually turn to drink or drugs when they've stopped doing anything good you know by the time john lennon was taking acid he'd pretty much stopped being any good I didn't mean to, to laugh at the fact that this kid held somebody at knife, but it just seems so strange. What, do, you, do you worry, as a, a musician, an artist, writing these kind of songs, does it worry you that some people out there, just music is so so influential 
do you worry about these things and, and something bad happening? Because well, it's not it's not the music. It's the lyric, isn't it? It's the lyric. Uh, you know, if if poetry was considered, uh, if you could buy singles or download bits of poetry and stuff, and you know that became a fashionable or acceptable thing to do, then the 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 much more powerful words in a lot of poetry would be would be um, connecting with people, would be hitting the targets. You know. Um, but also because there's this young thing of, of people identifying with pop singers and, and hero worshipping them, therefore they think a lot of the trite rubbish that comes out of your mouth is, is somehow meaningful and deep, and, and and a lot of it's not. A lot of it's just ba 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 you know. It's um, yeah. yeah, but some of it is. Some of it gets pretty deep, you know. And you have so many. Musicians that want to, a lot of them now that want to get political and, and, and religious and things like that, and it does cause a controversy, and sometimes it does change and influence our society to where it is a big deal what, what artists I, I think controversies are mostly caused by narrow-minded people, though. You know, if, you, if you're a thinker, what's going to be controversial about any opinion? Mm-hmm. What, God is a black woman with no legs? You know, if you're a thinker, you've thought that at one time. Mm-hmm. Oh uh, yeah, maybe Jesus was uh, maybe Jesus was made out of fifty cockroaches. Uh, well, yeah, okay, yeah, I could I could get behind that concept. You know, if if you think about stuff, you can think that anything is possible and has been possible and could be possible. If you don't think about stuff, you're gonna what? That's terrible. How could you say that? Well, you know, how how can you make concentration camps? Anything a human being can think, they can do. You know, it's 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 all about the more you the more you can think, the more anything is possible, good and bad. That's right. People got to think for themselves, and sometimes they got to think through these things before they do something crazy, like try to stab their teacher to play a song. So hopefully, people that are listening to this will do that. But yep. it's just uh, there have been lots of stories, you know. Well, oh, a knife is a coward's weapon in yeah. any case. Yep. Only cowards carry knives, and only men with no penises carry guns. Go well over here. Yeah, that story must be London because if it was over here, it would be a gun. But we hope we don't see any more of that. There's enough in the in the universities and the schools with with guns and violence, and hopefully that stops soon. So Andy, we really appreciate you being on and, and taking all these calls and staying on so long. It's been terrific. Hope to have you on again in the future. Okay, folks, enjoyed right. it. Hey, thanks a lot. Here's the, all right, Here is dear God, the entire song. We hope you enjoyed the show. Again, you're listening to Runger Radio. Thanks a lot for listening.